<laughs> oh my god, these motherfucking ants! Why? It's a single. There's no ant anywhere else, and there was a singular, a singular ant. ant climbing up my fucking leg. That is a creepy <laughs> feeling. I don't like it. <laughs> Hold on. Wait. Okay. I'm sending this email and then we're done. Okay. Hi. I've already been, I've already been recording. Um, the podcast is one of Busy's most productive work times. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true, Casey. And I, and I, I take umbrage with that, but I do a lot of times get eating done when, during the podcast. This I know is true. Right. But guys, I decided, even though it's two o'clock and I haven't eaten my lunch yet and it's in the fridge downstairs, I was like, you know what? I don't know, Danielle. That well, I'm not going to eat my lunch. <laughs> I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I mean, this I is over. It's like a, I appreciate that, but eat away. That is one thing you will, you should know about me is just eat whenever you want to eat. It's like a high school I date. I subscribe to that. It's like a high school date. Busy's like, I'm not going to eat in front of this guest co-host. <laughs> God, it don't you wish you could nervous. just like... I mean, whatever. We're not, we don't need to, I don't need to like feed into any bullshit body things, but like sometimes I do wish I could just like have one of those, like that feeling, like how could you bottle that feeling of like when you have a crush on someone and you can't eat in front of them? <laughs> I know. Like that's what you want, you know? Cause like you're always like, you know, that feeling you're just like, I can only have like three bites of this burger. <laughs> I think we can solve this. You have your crush and then life-size stand-up. <laughs> Yes. Just hide it around your house and be like, oh, God, they're looking at me. <laughs> well, I don't know if that would work. Guys, welcome to the show. It started. It started minutes ago. I didn't introduce anyone. I didn't do anything. I'm Busy Phillips, joined by Casey St. Ange and her dear friend, Danielle Henderson. Hello. Danielle and Casey are wearing matching leopard headscarves tonight, today. Unplanned. You guys really unplanned. I'm sure you guys are just very, you're simpatico. Just in sync you're, like that. You're in sync. Danielle, you have a new book. Is it out yet? Uh, when is this coming out? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. God willing. It'll be out next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. And what is your book called? It's called The Ugly Cry. It's a memoir. The Ugly Cry. I actually, I have to tell you as I am always honest with people who have written things when they come on the show. I got your book last night, but I was already in bed. I read, but I start, I like started reading it. Not only did it pass the first page test, <laughs> I was in Danielle. You're, I mean, I knew you were a fantastic writer, but the memoir is from page one. So fucking engaging. Like Aww. your best friend is telling you, how they grew up and about their family. And I, all, I have not, I mean, I've read all of 15 pages, but when I tell you, I just was going to read one and then I couldn't <laughs> stop. I felt like a kid in uh, middle school with a babysitter's club book. Oh, that's, that is the highest of compliments. I cannot thank you enough. And I, you know, I look, I'm a fan of the show. I listened to the Casey Wilson episode. I know that reading the book before somebody comes on <laughs> is not always possible. So I appreciate it. Well, I also just in my defense, had I gotten it over the weekend, I fully would have read it. But I, for some right. reason, was just given it last night at 
like 10 p.m. And so we were all on vacation. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. You know what I mean? I just like I only am am able and capable of what is put in front of me <laughs> at the moment. And so 10 p.m. was too late for me to read the whole thing. But I would have like I I'm in. I loved it. I love the first 15 pages. I'm super excited to read the rest of it. So, Thank guys, you, so you can much. get that next week. Next Tuesday. I highly recommend the it. The Ugly Cry. Also highly recommended by Augustin Burroughs, who said it's the funniest <laughs> memoir ever. Since his own? No, at, that he's ever read. That he's ever read. Yeah. Which Also, by the yeah, way, was... Running With Scissors isn't that funny. Like, it is <laughs> actually very, it's like really tragic. I mean, well. Wait, you know what's so weird, Casey? I just got. His other mem, or well, he's written several, but I just got his one about being a witch when I was yeah. in, yeah, when I was uh, away. I just picked, I just got that one. Oh well, I and mean, I haven't started I have to it read yet, that one. But but then that we're talking about that problem that I have, which is that I always think that incredibly tragic things are funny, and people have to explain to me that they're not funny at all, and then I'm like, oh. Same. Well, writing writing well, this book was fun in that way because everyone's like, "How is this funny?" Like, and some of the reviews are like, "This is a very dark book," and then the next review will be like, "This is hilarious," and everyone's like, "How? What? What do I believe?" And I'm like, "Both, both. They're both true." Well, I think we, I think we all live in that place. Yeah. Like, I think that that's. Yeah. I think also, if you're a person, I can't speak for all people who've had trauma in their lives. But I think that one thing that sort of is a tie between the people that I know and love who've had trauma and myself is the ability to find the deeply unsettlingly funny in it. And uh, that's the thing that like has always pulled me through. Do you guys remember when that fucking lady from I think it was Deadline or something a couple years ago was like wrote some horrible thing about how pretty women can't be funny do you remember oh this my gosh like this insanely misogynistic what? thing and it was it was it was specifically in reference to my friend Julie Bowen on Modern Family winning like an Emmy and she just had this woman just had this op-ed basically in one of the entertainment rags about how beautiful women like don't know comedy because like if you haven't like struggled against something like there's no way that you can cultivate that part of yourself and blah 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 blah. and first of all Julie is deeply funny but also that is just so fucking insane yeah you know Lucille Ball was a real uggo (laughs) How dare she? How dare she? That woman. Who hurt that woman? I mean, obviously a lot. Obviously someone that was very pretty. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Clearly. Someone that was like objectively beautiful. I I feel like it's probably something I shouldn't reveal as a TV writer, but I don't read Deadline. I never have. And I never will. Well, it's, I I mean, yeah. I mean, why why would you? It's just like, um, it just makes you feel bad about yourself as a TV writer. Well, and if I click on it and I'm reading about like pretty women can't be funny, I'm like, great. So I'm ugly because I'm hysterical. <laughs> Thanks, lady. <laughs> Thanks, lady. There goes years of therapy down the drain. Oh, my God. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Like, you know, you can't speak in absolutes about right. anything. Certainly, there are some beautiful, objectively beautiful women who are not funny at all. Yes. <laughs> But yes. there are also. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think people also everything's a spectrum. Beauty is a spectrum. Funny yeah. is a right. spectrum. There are there are an Oof. intersectional spectrum, and it's subjective. And what is beauty, guys? Yeah. What, what is, is beauty? beauty? What is beauty? Listen, this is not the hard-hitting news I came here for. Yeah, exactly. Busy. <laughs> okay. here, here is some context for you. I want to give you a little context. When our friend Josh Gondelman was on the podcast, I told a story mm-hmm. about a friend who came to my husband Matt's birthday party and doubled the margarita order because she had just sold a memoir and got us really, really drunk. And then we... Our teenage son, Eli, had to drive us home. That was Danielle. And, and he was pissed about it. That was yes. me. Danielle. That was me. And, th- and this was the <laughs> memoir. It's been a journey. It's been a real journey. I remember that night so vividly. I signed the contract on my agent's back outside of the restaurant. Oh, my God. And <laughs> went in and was like, margaritas for everybody. Happy <laughs> birthday. Excited. It's so exciting. Here's here's what I love. There was a there was a TV show. What was that guy? What's that guy's name who did my favorite movie of all time? Um, Contagion. Soderbergh. Steven Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Okay. Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh had an HBO show. I talk about this in my fucking memoir. (laughs) He had an HBO show called. uh, What was it called? The uh, fuck the like about actors in LA, and it was like partially improv George Clooney was a producer on it and it was partially improv no 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 this was like (laughs) John from Cincinnati correct no not that um (laughs) I found the article by the way it was Nikki Fink oh of course um yeah uh what was it called and like the the actors who were on the show they were using like their real careers as the show was progressing so it was like partially scripted but then also like Brian Greenberg got cast in that big Meryl Streep Uma Thurman movie called Prime that was supposed to be like a star making turn for him and he was like you know, it was like a huge deal. Guys, can we hold and on for one second? This day is cursed. I'm so sorry. My It's not cursed. Stop saying that. Don't say that. You're speaking it into truth. I'm so sorry. My Zoom. Re- well, it's mostly been me talking. No, my so. Zoom recorder is um, full. Can we just hold for one sec? Of course. Hold on. Good. It'll give us time to look up the show. Because <laughs> now I'm intrigued. It was like ahead of its time, Danielle. It's like it. It sounds like when I was too poor to have HBO, too. So I probably haven't watched it. Unscripted. Unscripted. Oh. From 2005. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I'm watching it tonight because I haven't watched it. It sounds fascinating. I love that kind of stuff. So, so Casey, you just jump back in when you're recording. Okay. Danielle and I got it. We're going to take it from (laughs) Danielle, you're recording on your Zoom, right? Yeah, I'm recording. Okay, great. Numbers are growing up. So, um... So my fate, like my favorite episode, and I do reference this in my memoir, is when Franklin Jella gives a speech in the acting class where essentially he's like, savor the call. It's the moment. It's the moment that you find out you got the job, but before you have to do the job, but that you know the job is yours and like all of the possibility in the world exists. And like as a creative person, whether it's like writing or an album deal, my friends who are musicians or, you know, your book deal or getting a TV pilot or getting a part in a big movie or getting a, you know, a movie greenlit or whatever it is, that fucking call is the greatest call. It's the best moment. 
you can get. And it's also like, that's the part that you can control. Like you can't control anything that happens beyond that. No. So just enjoy that. You have to enjoy it. So you have to walk back into the bar and buy all of your friends margaritas. And you have to have (laughs) like your celebratory moment. Because the truth is the book could come out, it could bomb, people could hate it, people could love, whatever it is, you can't control the rest of the story. You only can celebrate the moment of triumph that is as an artist, like having somebody say, okay, yes, I'm going to give you the keys for one minute. 100%. And I wonder too, if you felt like this when you were writing your book, but I kind of tried to remember that while I was writing also. Because I think it's really easy to get mired mm. down and like writing is hard and I don't want to mm-hmm. do this today. I'm like, ugh. Like it's it's a very solitary endeavor that is you don't get any immediate reward from it. No. So I really have to remember, and especially in, in writing in general, but particularly with this book, I like doing this. It's great that I get to do this. This is okay. Yeah. <laughs> like this is this is the joy. What whatever happens when it comes out is beyond my control. This is the part that I like. I mean, I do think that there's like Con- consistently t- trying to access the place of gratitude is always a good thing to do, no matter what your situation is. I remember years ago reading this thing about Dolly Parton. God bless. We all love Dolly that, you know, she's always in a good mood when she walks onto set and like, she's always like, no matter what's happening, she remains in a good mood. And she does have that real, like the ability to always access how grateful she is to get to do what she loves. And I try to keep that in my brain at all times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to do. But it's real fucking frustrated. hard. Let's be real. It's hard. It's hard to like sit in that place. Um. So your book comes out and what are you on a show right now? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm actually running my first show. What? Um, yeah. For Lena Wade at Amazon. Amazing. And it hasn't been picked up yet, so I don't want to jinx it and talk about sure, it. I'm sure. one of those let's people. Not. Well, let's um, just not. But it's very positive experience, I'll say that. And Great. it's uh it's pretty cool. Like I feel like I'm ready I'm ready for this. I was ready to do this. I actually had a real sit-down talk with my reps because it's very easy for me. I should say it's it's hard for me sometimes to keep my eyes on my own plate, which is why I don't mm-hmm. read deadline because I'm like, I don't want to read about people who are having success in areas that I don't have and want. It will freak me out. So I had a moment at the end of you know last year and I was like, look, next year, pandemic should be over. Maybe it'll be over even if it's not. I want these kinds of jobs now. Like this is what I want. I just had a real flat out plain talk with them. It was like, this is what I want to do. And they went out and found me the opportunity to do it. <laughs> so I feel like really grateful to them, but also very, um, I don't know, it just feels like really cool to be to be able to, do, to, be, to be doing this. Because I think that TV writing is, um, it's can be pretty exhausting if you're not on a show that's lasting or that, you know, you're, I've never gone back to a show for like multiple seasons, which is hard. Right. And like right. finding a new job every couple of months is hard. And I'm like, I think if I'm going to be doing that, I want to be more on this side of things. And they're making it happen. One thing that you just said that I feel like also is incredibly useful for people uh, to hear and then think about how they can implement in their own lives is the specificity of what you wanted came to fruition like after I had birdie I've told this story before not on this podcast I don't know if I have who fucking knows I don't know Danielle I don't know what I've said where when or why I don't know what I said five minutes ago you're fine I don't fucking know (laughs) but 
have we talked about the show that Steven Soderbergh did? It was like about actors in the <laughs> mid 2000s. Anyway, uh, after Birdie was born and I had had a lot of financial issues because I just was on a break from work and it was the writer's yeah. strike and whatever, whatever. And I had not gotten a job that I really wanted because I was <clears throat> too fat. There, the studio and networks words. Oh my God. Wow. Oh my God. What a rough moment. I was like, I just had a baby, but okay. Um, I went in for a meeting with my agents and I was like, this is pilot seasons coming up. I need to get on a show that's going to get picked up. I want it to be like a single camera, half hour comedy with like a huge star attached. And I want to be number two on the call sheet. And I got Cougar Town. Yep. And I was just like, after that, I was like, oh, you just have to say exactly what it is that you want. And then it comes yes. a Colin. It took me till genuinely last year to learn that. <laughs> So don't be don't be upset if you don't know this yet, listeners. But um, yeah, it really did take me a long time to realize that I could just ask for things, and it doesn't mean I'm going to get them. But right. I feel so much better being able to say to myself, "This is what I want." Because even yeah. if that didn't work, I would have tried something else to get what I want. Yeah, and then sometimes being specific about what you want helps you decide whether or not you want to take what's coming to you. You know what yes. I mean? Like sometimes it's easier to say, well, no, I'm not going to take that thing because it's not exactly what I want. Or you can say, oh, I'm going to take that thing because it's kind of close to what I want. Or that's not at all what I was going for. Like, for example, I was just recently in a situation where I should have said, let me not do this thing because it's not at all <laughs> what I want to do. But I didn't. I didn't. I listened to someone else who mm. it was what they were trying to do. And I was like, you know, you're like, this isn't me. Yeah. I didn't listen to the specificity of what I wanted to do. And, and it turns like, out it was a mistake. It, it usually is. We know this now from learning, from doing, but it's, <laughs> I don't know if this is also part of your, your MO as it is mine. I have to get over so much fear before I say yes to something or, or say no to something, because I will say yes to things out of the fear that like, well, I'll never work again if I don't say yes to this. Or yeah. what if I can't afford to live if I, if I say no mm -hmm. to this? Like I have so much fear of just being a sustainable person on the planet. Yeah. And it took me so long to get over that and to realize that I've never not had a job. I've, I've most of my life had two or three jobs at the same time to this day. So it's like, I'm not going to fall into a hole if I say no to something that is objectively bad for me or that I truly don't want to do. It would be a horrible experience. I'll regret every moment of doing it. <laughs> and I don't, I'd rather not have those feelings than have the momentary, what if I don't survive feelings? Because I can get over those pretty quickly. <laughs> right, right. I've been trying to tell myself lately, like, it makes a good story. Like the podcast has really been helpful to me. A lot of people have come on the podcast and talked about like things that they actually turned down or didn't do that they've regretted. And actually in the end, like years later, it kind of makes a good story. So I'm like, now I'm like, oh, if I decline to do something that maybe in the moment I should have done at least in 10 years, if I'm lucky enough to still be here and still feeling bad about it, maybe it'll make a charming story to Look, be like, holy we, shit, should have done that. We all know you should have been Brienne of Tarth on Game of Thrones, but you said no <laughs> and it's fine. It's fine. 
I do feel like as an actor, very grateful that I've never turned down the role that then like was the role for someone right. else. You know, did you guys watch the Friends reunion? I didn't watch it. I didn't watch I it. I didn't either. watch it yet because either. I had to I had to, I have to I ha- I have to I don't I don't want to. Mine. <laughs> you love friends. <laughs> I wanted to just maybe stay there, you know? Yeah. I get that. Having reunions for things that happened in our lifetime is strange to me. <laughs> I don't know if it's that or if it's that like, yeah, like because of streaming, because we're still like currently watching 1999 television to then see people in 2021 who are not still in 1999. (laughs) I mean, it puts me in touch with my own mortality and (laughs) feelings of like questioning how how I'm aging and the choices I'm making and <laughs> you know what I mean like it just it's like it's too much for me it's too it's too existential like where I know it's just supposed to be fun and sweet but like it feels uh, hard <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> confronting your mortality is hard what <laughs> like also oh my god like you guys i started when i started i had this realization when i started cougar town i think that courtney was my age the age you are right now yes i think she was i think she was like i'm about to turn 42 and i think she was like 42 or 43 she was real young well i say i thought i was like oh they're grown-ups like they're grown-up people like Courtney and Krista I thought they were so much older than me which they you know that freaks me out when I feel like people are doing things and I'm like wait I'm so much older than they were when they did that right (laughs) it's such a weird thing like the way time works it time is such a bitch like the way bitch time is a bitch and like time the spaces between time, like the way that I have jumped from like people being like, oh, you're like the big sister I never had to like people being like, oh, you're like, you're like my mom. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, I know you mean that as a compliment, but I want to put a pillow right over your face and murder (laughs) you right now. Because like, I thought that we were like buds and peers. And like also the person saying that to me always has a better job than I do. And I'm just like, oh, do you guys know how many DMs I get a day of like, I want to be you when I grow up? And it's like people who are like five years older than me. And I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to this, but okay. You can be I, me when you grow up, I guess. Yeah. Don't know that's, what to even that, say to that. That's one of my pet peeves. That's like my most um, pet peeve phrase. I want to be you when I grow up. And I'm yeah. like, bitch, we're the same age. And you yeah. can't. I got the or, job already. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cute when it's a kid, though. That is kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. Although, yeah. I don't know. This is a, this is a new pet peeve. So um, I co-host a podcast mm. called I Saw What You Did. And my co-host, It's so Millie great. I, you have is. to subscribe to it. I Saw What You Did. It's a film podcast. It's so, so great. And Millie and I, my friend, we're the, we're the same age. And we addressed it on the show. But we got an email from someone who I, who I think... I have to believe in my heart they think they were giving us a compliment. No. Um, already I they, hate it. I already hate it. I already hate it. But they were basically like, all I want to do is listen to two 
slightly bitter middle-aged women talk about film. And I had a real fucking moment with that. (laughs) We were texting each other well into the night. Like, are we bitter? Are we middle-aged? Are we slightly bitter? Are we old? Like, what is, what is this email? It really threw us for a fur loop. That's a rough one. That's really fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I have to believe it came from a good place, but I'm like, there's nothing about either of us to me that telegraphs bitter Uh at all. We laugh constantly and who cares if a middle if a middle age like it's coupled with the slightly bitter that really got me. But also like what is middle age anymore right. because like people live to 115. Well exactly. again it's like a spectrum. <laughs> who is to say what is middle age except for the grim reaper who's right. not talking to any of us? You know, so like that is for nobody to say. You can't really say what middle age is until like it's at the person's funeral. And also bitter is a spectrum as well. Yes. And I I, I think like the way that I respond, the only way I could have responded to it and the way I did respond to it was people are not, there are a lot of people who are not accustomed to hearing women give their opinion. And it's always framed as bitter when it's just a fucking fact. And I can't handle this continued re- reliance on this patriarchal language, basically. Sorry to get on my my academic high horse here, but I no, can't stand it. No, I'm all it. for it. I can't stand that. it. I'm like, you you cannot just hear a woman saying something and assume that the emotion that it's coming from is is negative. That's just too much of what we've already dealt with as women. I can't do it. That's really interesting because I think of you and I think of Busy too as like you're both really strong and I think that that probably is if people are like reading you in a certain type of way that that's like, and they're going to give like their patriarchal negative connotation as like bitter. What I get Mm -hmm. all the time is people give me pep talks. I feel (gasps) like whenever I say something and I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not upset. I'm not like, I'm fine. I'm okay. And people are like, chin up, you know? And I'm like, I'm just saying that like my armpit stinks or whatever. Like I'm not having a meltdown. Like I'm okay. By the way, I would take some fucking pep talks if anybody (laughs) wants to. You guys, wait, can we talk really fast? Can I tell you what happened to me? Yeah. So many things. So many things have happened to me. (laughs) But you guys, there's not a fucking moment where my body can just be chill. Like it's so annoying and bums me out. But yesterday or two days, maybe two days ago, it was like, oh, no, like my butt is really bleeding. Like you were not expecting this. Casey's face, you guys. (laughs) And Danielle, and Danielle, I wasn't going to eat in front of you, but I am going to talk about my anal bleeding. Beautiful. So anyway, you know, I've had like IBS and spastic colon my whole life, basically. And so I've had like fissures we've talked about it on this fucking yeah, podcast but, before yeah, a long time yeah. but fissures right which are just like little cuts in your butt I think just because I like have a tendency to be have a lot of shit that comes out I don't know guys whatever yeah. I'm trying to be Oprah about it and just like well, talk like, through these things like butt skin is fragile and yeah. it's like it's like your lip skin and like you you're not like putting chapstick back there and you have like poops coming out sometimes exactly. I think we should make Oh my God, should we invent butt chapstick? (laughs) (laughs) New to the merch. (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. It's such a good idea. It could be like coconut oil and like a little like, um, like something a little menthol-y, just like so that it smells nice. 
like yeah, like just like not not too mentholy, but just yeah, like a I little mean, very yeah, sure. like a yeah, spearmint, like a spearmint. Sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, guys, I'm into butt chapstick. So anyway, so I was like, ugh, this blood, that's annoying. And then yesterday, you guys, it was so much fucking blood, like to the point where I was like, hey, Mark, do you think Aww. I come up here for a second? <laughs> this is. A ton of fucking blood coming from my butt. And it's not, I wasn't even like pooping. It was just like gushing right. out of my butt. So then, of course, I took a mirror, as you do. And I like sat down and was like, okay, where, what's happening? I wanted to see, it was bright red. You guys, I'm so sorry. At well, home no, because also, listening to this. It's like, but, it, was it from your butt or was it like something happening inside that was just well, coming that's out? I, well, this right. Is, that's yeah, what, this is what you're trying to find out. This is what I was trying to examine. Like, how scared do I need to be? What's right. happening? And hey, also, you know, I've been told that I brush my teeth too hard. I think I might be a hard wiper. Okay. It's possible. And I also, because the environment. Oh, and, and what do I not have in this house here? You Casey? don't have a bidet. You need that's a bidet. That's right. That's fucking right. That's why my butt's bleeding. This is the so, thing. So I wish anyway, people talked about this more, truly, guys, because it was, the bidet changed my life. Changed my butthole. It is a game changer. <laughs> and I cannot wait to get another bidet in my life once I'm not in this rental. Anyway, the point being, I was like looking in my butt and then I saw the like little cut. It looked like a paper cut kind of, but profusely bleeding why it's not even that deep why is your it's so butt sensitive. like your forehead or something like it, it was has just like, like a lot of capillaries and i guess there, it probably. does well, yeah anyway. it's the same as a head wound like a head wound will bleed yeah. like you wouldn't believe and it could just be a scratch like a fingernail scratch and can well, I tell you something? There are just certain things that are very alarming because I don't know if I have ever talked about this on the podcast, but I have endometriosis, which um, is in my colon. And mm-hmm. that is when I have my period, my butthole bleeds. And well, your it, butthole doesn't bleed. Blood comes out. Yeah. Of your butt. Blood, com- blood right. comes out of my butthole. And the, it's just very scary to have blood come out of your butthole. It just yeah. is like, you know, like it's uh, just one of those things where you don't want to see blood coming out of it. You no. Just no one ever talks about it unless it's a, a dire emergency. So we're right. all kind of, you know, inured to this notion that like, if anything is bleeding back there, it's the end. And And by the way, try to talk to a doctor about it because even a doctor is like, doesn't really want to talk about it that much. They'll be like, "Mm, yeah, buttholes are mysterious and sometimes they bleed (laughs) and I don't know. Like, yeah, they'll just do anything to shuffle their feet around the floor to get you to stop talking about it and get the fuck out of there. But I have noticed, I don't know if this is true of you, but ever since I've I've hit my 40s and I'm going to be 44 next in two weeks. So ever since I got to my 40s, my gynecologist has been asking me much more pointed and impressively helpful questions Mm. that I did not get in my 20s. 
So she'll like, like you know, like look under, like she'll look under my boobs and be like, it's a little red, red under there. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's probably my brush. She's like, well, just in case it's not, it could be like a yeast infection or whatever. And I'm like, why did no one ever tell me this? <laughs> it's like, I wear bras all day long. She's like, you can just use this or that. or Like just very pointed questions or asking, you know, about not just, I feel like in my twenties, it was just basically like, um, are you getting a period? What's the length of it? Are you having any pain? Goodbye. And now I'm getting more kind of, you know, like, well, how does it, what kind of pain is it? Or how long does it last? Or do you feel pain in your back when this is, like, they're making correlations now between things that they never did when I was in my 20s. (laughs) Do you think it's because, do you think it's because you're in your 40s or because there's Yelp now? Mm. Oh, good question. It might be Yelp. If you don't fucking do a good job, I'm going to write about it on ratemydoctor.com. She didn't ask about my butthole at all. Zero. (laughs) Well, that's technically not her job, to be honest. (laughs) But I think that's why it's so impressive to me because I'm like, this is never, this never seemed to be part of the job. And now you're asking. So I'm wondering if like, are there things happening out there that we can be drawing some connections to? Or I'm glad that she she does it. Or it is just like as you get older, there are a whole new set of things and complications. And if you're like a doctor who wants to be on their shit and preventative health, like they want to she wants to make sure you're you're all good. Also, like early detection on everything, everything, always early detection on a toxic relationship, guys. Early detection is key everywhere in your life. But look for uh, the flags. Look for those flags. You should definitely go. You know, I would. I'd be impressed. I would. I would be interested to see what a doctor says, though, if it's connected to your IBS issues, or if it's like because some maybe maybe the butthole cut is connected to the IBS issues. I mean, it for sure is. There was no. There's no. It wasn't like anal sex or. I mean, there's no nothing else. Although I'm. I really do think that not having my bidet, I am a hard, a hard swiper. Yeah. Now that's what I'm really thinking. And I don't use like, I don't use those wet wipes because they're really bad for the environment. They don't like biodegrade. And then I've seen that like the fatberg, you know, in the middle of the ocean. That's just like, just like a bunch of fucking poop wipes and shit. I I can't. It makes me so sad. No, I think it's, I think it's bidet time. It's like, well, it's definitely bidet time. Bidet, mate. (laughs) Bidet, mate. Are we starting our own bidet company called Bidet Mate? We have butt chapstick and bidet mate. Yes, let's do a line of like butt chapstick, bidet mate, like um, fiber pills, and then like (laughs) and then period products. Yes, below the belt, below the belt (gasps) LLC. Last, I mean, I had to go to my. I went to my gyno. Did I talk about this on the podcast? I can't remember. I don't. I had. I went to my gyno like two weeks ago to get checked out because I was like, I just keep bleeding and I don't know what's going on, and we determined. That my I'm my kid Birdie's uterus is trying to pull me onto their cycle. Oh, alpha alpha uterus, alpha uterus. Like obviously, obviously Birdie has the fucking alpha uterus. Well, you know anyway. teen teen hormones, right? Well, when we were yes. when we all worked together at the sorority firehouse, busy tonight. I mean, oh, that was a the most that was fun. A, a powerful aligning of uteri. I know, but like I love my cycle. I don't want to get pulled on to their baby <laughs> cycle. It's bullshit. Also, teens are erratic. Like you don't want to be on an erratic. No, <laughs> I need to have a pep talk with my uterus. I'd be like, get back on your junk. 
You're this the boss. uterus made that uterus. Who's the boss here? I know. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess I'm doing my best this week at being very open. <laughs> well, I'd say you did a great job. It's working. You just need to get your your butthole to be a little, a little less more, open, a little a less, little less open, <laughs> or more open. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Or like play some that. play some tennis before you have to like really wear your arms out so you're not wiping as hard. I do oh, play tennis. Yeah, it's, I don't. I don't know what I don't know what it is. It's because I don't do anything like softly, Danielle. You know what I mean? Like I can't. I don't know how to be soft. You're a powerful woman, and your butt is paying the price. It's okay. Just, I am not a soft person. I am like harsh, and I talk this way and I I'm my skin isn't even really that soft I don't know I'm just not I'm, not, I'm just not soft you're like my my husband's like that too he's a hard walker he's like yes I walk hard he walks mm-hmm. very hard can I ask you a question when you um back your car up do you put your arm over the um over the seat and look over your shoulder to back up when you back up your car like well, when you not since I had the camera thing. Okay, but did you? Used I used to? to. Yeah. Did you always hit the person in the passenger seat in the face with your arm? When you- <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. How many? How many times a week do you open a door onto a family member very hard? <laughs> I mean, that's a daily occurrence, or onto myself. Yeah, I just think it's a thing. Yeah, I think it's a thing. I, I definitely you- stomp through life. <laughs> You know, like I'm, I'm like I, I am like I'm definitely like yeah that is it is yeah, yeah I've like yeah I've like smacked cricket in the face before like trying to open a thing I'm like oh my god cricket, I'm so sorry <laughs> oh no you poor thing and she's just like ah that doesn't feel great <laughs> the cutest oh my gosh wait cricket wait cricket said the cutest thing last night I just have to tell you really fast. So Mark is, has work and has to like go away for a minute to like do some work stuff. And he was like kissing Cricket goodnight last night. And she looked up at him and she goes, you know what you are? You're our troop leader. (laughs) And then I was like, oh my God, that's like the cutest, nicest thing I've ever heard. And then she goes, is it trop or troop? How do you say I don't, is it (laughs) troop? Like, that is every part of this interaction is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I was like, it's it is true, baby. It's true. And she's like, yeah, okay, yeah, troop leader. <laughs> I love when kids try to figure things out on their own, and they. I love when actually anyone is like trying to figure out a word or something, and they're like, I'm just gonna say it. I need to know what it is. I'm going to say it. Somebody else will help me with it if I need it. That's adorable. I do that all the time. Sometimes I like, I have words that I use in my head that I've never really heard out loud before. And and I will just go for it. And then I'm like, that's not probably right. But you hope that somebody else, you hope that somebody still would, would chime in. I and, used to say you know. the word mm-hmm. cacophony as cacophony mm-hmm. in my head. Wow. I'm like cacophony. Cacoph- yeah, yeah. Cacophony. <laughs> Cacophony. Cacophony. Well, they always, they always, 
They always say you should never laugh at someone that does that because that means they learned the word from reading it. Right. Like, it's not a right. word I say out loud ever. Yeah. <laughs> so I did once. I said it out loud in front of my ex-husband and he burst out laughing. And I'm like, what? And he's like, it's not cacophony. It's cacophony. <laughs> and I'm like, well, huh? all right, smarty pants. Let's get divorced. I don't know. What the fuck? Yeah. I was like, and that's... <laughs> And that's why he became your ex-husband. Like, I don't know. I just said it in my head all the time. I read it in books. Leave me alone. The only time I've ever laughed at anyone for um, mispronouncing something is like last year, my husband was talking about the Beatles and he said he was talking about the drummer of the Beatles and he said the drummer Ringo. No. And I was like, <laughs> Ringo? No, that's and, not true. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and I mean, like, he's like a rock and roll lover. Like, Wait, and I was like, no sense. That makes no sense. You <laughs> didn't know his name was Ringo. How can you go your Rick whole life? knows that. And she calls the orange shoes Tropicanza. <laughs> <laughs> How can you go your whole life and think his name is Ringo? That okay, is that's so funny to me. That is amazing. And he was like, what? What is it? <laughs> Matt loves music so much. How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. But I also love that he didn't pay close enough attention to the Beatles ever to know that it was Ringo. Well, Matt and I have that in common. because You know <laughs> oh how God. I feel. Controversial. I don't want to get into it, but yeah, I don't like the y- Beatles. Yeah. Neither of you. You're both going to get dragged on the Internet. We'll for get not- dragged. I'll get dragged. <laughs> not my fave. Not my fave. Every is ready for summer. My armpit smells so good. I can hug my friends because we're all vaxxed and I don't worry about my armpits smelling on them or leaving that residue on the t shirt, which is always super awkward. You guys. Tell me that's not a good jingle. That's a good jingle because it's it's a beautiful song, but it's also very true. I've been I was inspired by Bo Burnham's special today. It was <laughs> it's so good. You got to watch it. But that's not what this commercial is about. This commercial is about each and every deodorant. I love it. The natural deodorant keeps me odor free all day. It's true. It does not leave a weird residual when I hug my friends when I'm wearing a little spaghetti strap situation. Um, I love so many things about each and every, uh, I love their scent options. I love that they use essential oils, not chemicals, because I am of course such a sensitive little baby and, (laughs) and truly essential oils are like the only scents that don't give me headaches. Um, sort of like chemical, uh, chemical scents like tend to give me migraines anyway. Right. Right now, my favorite scent is coconut and lime because I'm like, we're kicking off the summer, right? I want to smell like a pina colada when I hug you. And I do. I do. Yeah, I love it. I love the coconut and lime. I also love the geranium and snow mushroom. They're all very elegant, lovely scents. chamomile and bergamot. You know who also ordered each and every after my recommendation and loves it? My mother. Oh, I think Emily Beebe also got each and every. Listen, guys. Everybody in our lives are getting it. Why don't you hop on board and get yourself some natural deodorant? Because each and every has been found to fight odor as well as an antiperspirant without 
the use of aluminum, parabens, or any other hidden chemicals. In fact, each and every is made with just six simple, safe ingredients, dead sea salt, coconut oil, and it does not irritate my skin. I don't get those weird bumps. Um, And all of the ingredients are sustainably sourced, including the packaging. So guys, oh, plus all US orders ship free. We're telling you, do it. Make the switch to each and every. We have an amazing deal to get you started. 30% off your first purchase. Go to our special URL, eachandevery.com slash best and use promo code best 30. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on 30% off. Use promo code best 30 at eachandevery.com slash best. Listen, clean air is essential to our health and well-being, but what are you actually doing to make sure that the air in your home is clean for you and your family? I don't know what you're doing, but you know what I'm doing? We're using Azuna Fresh. I love it. It's uh, odor eliminators that not only eliminate bad smells, but they also naturally get rid of mold, mildew, fungus, and bacteria in the air. If you're somebody like me that has allergies, you know that that, those little bits of mold and mildew and fungus can really wreak havoc on your sinuses. Um, So here's where we've been putting these Azuna Fresh jars. Um, because that's what I also love about it. You don't plug it in. It's a little jar and it has holes on the top and you open it up, you put it wherever you need to put it. We, I put it down in our laundry room because I feel like it gets real mildewy in there. Um, we put it in the like TV room that we've been working out in because I feel like it's not been smelling great down there. And I've been putting it in the, um, pull out drawer trash receptacle. Um, and this, really is just, it's got antimicrobial plant-based products. It actually cleans and neutralizes fungus and bacteria in the air, which means healthier immune systems, fewer allergies. I love it. Plus, Azuna Fresh eliminates odor from the source with no weird chemicals or toxins. So it doesn't smell like a weird, toxic, like what's happening, you know? No. This is, honestly, I was introduced to this because they were considering advertising on our podcast, I'm obsessed with it. I love love it it so much. I really, really love it. The Azuna Fresh long-lasting jars, they last for 60 to 90 days, no electricity needed. And then they have like a little spray for spot treatment, which I'm not going to lie, has come in handy with the cats and also great for sneakers and cars, anywhere that could use like a little quick refresh. So Trust us, you need to get Azuna Fresh for your home. Right now, we've got a special offer for our listeners, 20% off your purchase. Go to azunafresh.com today and use promo code BEST, B-E-S-T, for 20% off your new favorite odor eliminator. That's promo code B-E-S-T at A-Z-U-N-A-Fresh.com. Trust me. Your nose is going to thank you. Uh, They didn't tell me I had to say that part about my nose. I just said it. Um, okay, Casey, what are you doing your best at? Oh, okay. Um, I'm doing my best at well, I had a birthday this week and I am tradition not great at having birthdays. I get very like agitated and worked up about it. 
um, yeah, I don't know what that's about. Probably my childhood, I'm guessing. <laughs> Something to do with my it. childhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, Matt planned like a little thingy in the backyard. Was it a surprise or was it like just I, plan- you I knew. feel like it was like meant to maybe be a surprise. But then I feel like he panicked and told me and was like, people are coming over on Sunday. And, um, and it was just really nice. And people came over and it was a lot of people's first thing that they had done in like 15 months. So I overheard like I overheard like people met each other and they shook hands and then I heard somebody get choked up and say this is the first time I've shaken someone's hand in 15 months and they like got teary and you know and I got teary because like people I don't love I, shaking hands I'm just gonna say I know that. I know you're not you weren't even a handshaker before no. but there was but like, I do like hugging I do like yes, hugging so much hugging sanitizer galore everywhere some people like stayed eight feet apart from other people and shouted from eight feet away eight feet I thought it was six listen I was like anything goes whatever makes you comfortable if you want to hug you can hug if you want to stay inside and watch tv and look at people through the windows you can do that if you want to make out you can do that if you want to shake hands you can do that but it was just really nice and it was and like for whatever reason I just didn't freak out about it and I was kind of proud of myself because normally I have like 50 melties about my birthday and I just didn't this year. I think it feels a little bit like let's put it in perspective and like how grateful we all are. Like, A, that you made it. Yeah, we got (laughs) we got Got it. Yeah, Yeah, you got to this birthday. But also, yeah, like the other thing was probably just taking precedence in your brain and like the excitement of being able to have people come over and. I don't know. It's fun. I wish I could have been there. I wish you could have been there, too. I wish my older son, Eli, could have been here. I I told him, like, that's the only thing that could have made it perfect is if he could have been here. He has a lot going on. He's, like, trying to do an internship to graduate from college, and that's, like, a really big deal. And so... He's got to do that. He's got to do that one last thing. Um, But so many surprises, including, like, our most elusive... Busy tonight staff member Io showed up at the very end and almost everybody almost fell out. I heard you screamed. I screamed because he showed up and he walked into my backyard with his motorcycle helmet on and like cool rider and everyone just uh, everyone screamed. It wasn't just me. A lot like, of busy tonight people. A lot of busy tonight people, including our director and her husband, um, who was our jib operator, Liz Planka and Jack Gagney. Um, Jack, so good looking. Jack Liz, is the such a gorgeous couple. <laughs> such such a, gorgeous, a gorgeous couple. I mean, okay, let's have we ever talked about Liz and Jack on the podcast? I don't think so. Okay, no, Liz, we literally our show was canceled, Casey. I know. <laughs> Jack I worked with so long ago at the Rosie O'Donnell show he was a camera operator at the Rosie O'Donnell show my son was in the nursery my older son Eli was in the nursery and he's 21 years old now and when I would ask my son what he wanted to be when he grew up he would be like I just want to be handsome like Jack because that's how like handsome Jack looks like a movie star 
star. Yeah. And he always has looked like a movie star. And he's and like he, aged into it. Even like I didn't know him obviously back then, but he does look like a movie star. Still looks like a movie star. Mm-hmm. He's married to this woman, this badass woman director, Liz Planka. She was the director of Conan O'Brien show when he was at NBC. She came to direct Busy Tonight and we were in such great hands. She was just like such a pro. But our favorite thing ever was everybody that got to be like on a headset. Like Jack was, he did like the main camera, like the big, you know, the jib camera. If you know, if you're familiar with like how a TV show is shot, like a like a show like that, the jib is the camera that's on like a long arm and kind of like flies over the whole set. And the director talks to all of the camera operators, but especially like the jib does like a lot of important shots. The most important shots in many cases and they love each other so much they like each other so much they dig each other so much and the way that she would talk to him over the headset and everyone would be like <laughs> blushing like this is is this steamy <laughs> like is this stop i never hot? got the joy of listening to liz and jack over the headset cuz i was obviously you know, doing my own thing. You were doing the work, but she would be like, oh my work. God, Jack, that is beautiful. Yes, <laughs> keep going. And everyone would be like, I don't feel like I should be listening to this. Oh my God, But I amazing. also absolutely want to keep listening to this. But oh, um, I love them. I love them. <laughs> but we love them so much. And they live on the East Coast, but they just happened to be on the West Coast for a couple days. And when they walked in, I just cried and cried because I love them oh. so much. Yeah, they're and it was such an unexpected treat to see them. And then, yeah, lots of busy tonight friends. Um, and then just Io, who's like, he's like the Phantom of the Opera. He's like the, <laughs> he's always just like moving around in the background. And then everyone was like, who's this mysterious character in a motorcycle helmet? And then he took off the motorcycle helmet and he wore eyeliner because he knows I like it. And then, but then he put on his sunglasses but I still knew he had eyeliner on behind the shades and he was it was such a delight to see him and what's he um, on now what is he working on do you know he's just working on all kinds of stuff and we just talked about like he's been doing his tattooing thing and you know he's been you know he's just all kinds of stuff do you remember the portrait of me that he gave me at the end yes that's what the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yes, it's he was so um, beautiful. Danielle, he was our graphics producer. He did our graphics for and oh. like it's one of those situations where like we were so lucky to have him doing our graphics for the show, but it was also like not to be like it was also such a waste because he's actually such a beautiful beautiful artist that it's kind of a waste for him to be doing stupid TV graphics that, you know. Yeah, but he, you like got to pay the bills when you're an yes, artist. Yes, you got to pay the bills. I mean? So and he was just so his, good at it. I yeah. like that his presence was the gift. Like anyone who shows up and people scream and cheer for like I just I love that. It was it was so great. He's he mysterious just, like, but not in an annoying way. No, no. And he's like he's also I'm making it seem like he's so cool and like badass, <laughs> but he's also like funny in that Michigan J Frog way where he's like so cool when everyone's looking, but then when no one's looking, he'll do something <laughs> hilarious and then no one will believe that he did something hilarious That's and you're really like, funny. "No, I swear, I swear." He just did a hilarious dance when no one was looking. So anyway, it was very delightful. Love Io. He I also told him we were going to talk about him on the podcast and he didn't Aww. believe it. He didn't believe that he's ever been mentioned on the podcast, but anyway, love Io. Io. And- 
We love you. We love you and we miss you. And he just said the nicest things about the show. And like Danielle, two guys like worked on the show. Two guys. (laughs) Total. 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 Yeah. And uh, we were just talking about like what a special type of like guy that it took to just yeah. be like and he just he said the nicest and things. Eric Gurian has talked about how it changed him yes yes and w- that's like what we talked about we just like went inside and like I gave him a tour of my house because he was really interested in that and he wanted to look at all like the art that we had hanging around the house and he and then we just had like a long talk about like how working at that show compared to other shows that he's worked on and how he just learned so much about like what it meant to like support each other and um yeah it was it really was was, like I've been feeling real sad I I think because last year was just like what was last year yeah what was last year (laughs) um but when I was looking for pictures of you and me together to post for your birthday. Um, ah, there's an ant on me. Oh, ah. my, God. oh my God. These motherfucking ants. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> you guys. Wow. Um, ah. Why? It's a single. There's no ant anywhere else. And there was a singular, a singular ant. ant climbing up my fucking leg. That is a creepy feeling. I don't I like hate it. it. And like, did you see? I just like reached down gently and I was like, ah! Oh my God. You guys. Um, I was looking for pictures and so I was looking through like lots of busy t- there were so many busy tonight photos. Um, and and I like got I like went down, I went down like an iPhoto rabbit hole and was just like, oh my God, that feel, it was it a dream? Did we do that? Like that was incredible. And the, not just, I mean, whatever guys, I mean, you know, fine. Not just like for me, it was like incredible for me to like do that. (laughs) No, it just was the greatest work environment the most fun daily job we all I mean I really do think like we all every day we're so excited to put together this dumb little show that we really loved and like meant something to us and I actually found sometimes people ask me about the um Mr. Nightgown the goodnight song <laughs> and uh and I found I ha- I randomly have one on my phone which I'm so glad I have. I might post it. Maybe I'll post it. But I was getting just super, super emo about that because I feel like we almost, because we like went, you and I went directly into trying to build this other way of continuing that show. And we were sort of like holding out hope that we'd be able to like get the old gang back together and and like quickly like we thought we had really high hopes that it would be sort of if not seamless like not long like a few months and then it just was I feel like we didn't properly put it to bed we didn't properly like say goodbye mourn it you and you and me Probably everybody else did because they went and took other jobs at like Kelly Clarkson and stuff. But, you know, 
I just mean, <laughs> I just mean that I, I think I had the realization over the weekend when I was thinking about your birthday and looking through photos that like, oh shit, I never really, like I keep thinking it's going to come back in some weird right, yeah. space in my brain, which is a weird thing to, to hold sense. on to. Yeah. I guess so. I that guess it does. Cause you, and yeah. it sounds like, you know, and I, and I know this from talking with, with Casey over the years, but like, it sounds like you created the environment you all always wanted to work in. It honestly, it was just like a fucking joy. Yeah. It was just a joy. Like I think about that weird upstairs office space that we had yeah. and how small it was and how insane, like the sorority vibe of it was. Yeah. Like it was so small. Yeah. And how hot that hallway got <laughs> and how I was always sweating and I would come tromping in and stomping. how you bang you knew we were all on the same cycle. But like in talking about butts, you knew what was happening with anyone's stomach, <laughs> like just because of like how tight that office was. You I know mean, the I bathroom mean? was like right. It was next to the refrigerator. Like you had to like you'd be like, oh. <laughs> like what's happening today? Biz, biz, is it, what was it? Was it sushi? You know you can't have soy. I know, I know. It was, and that's also the kind just of like, experience that you only have with family. Like that's, people you live with is who you usually have that experience with. Yeah. So to have that kind of closeness at work, you you created a family. We, we our, our editor, Tony, who we loved so much, he was like, he was not on the immediate staff, but um he was our one of our editors, this great guy, and he sadly passed away very young. And we told this story at his funeral, but it makes me laugh so hard every time I think of it that we were like staying one night, working late on something, and he was he was there in the edit, right? He was there in the edit, and he had like come up to talk to me about something because he worked way out like across the parking lot and he had come up to talk to me about something and he found me doubled over um in the hallway and he thought in pain he thought that he found me doubled over in pain and he was like oh my god are you okay what's happening can I help you <laughs> and I couldn't talk for like five minutes and finally he was like can I get you water can I get you a chair what's happening and finally when I could talk I was like this person what came up with a joke and like then like physically demonstrated how the joke would go and then it made this other person laugh so hard that she <laughs> farted <laughs> that she farted <laughs> and I had to run away and I've been laughing so hard that I can't move <laughs> And then he was like, he had to sit down on the floor because he was laughing so hard. And then he was like, is that how fun it is all the time for you? Oh, here? Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for is. real, it was. And the light, I mean, the light, I think about that selfie light still. To yes. this. I like miss those. I do. I miss those offices. I miss them. They were so little. And then. You know, it was like the the whole thing, Danielle. I'm just gonna tell this. Who gives a fuck? Um, <laughs> but he was like, "You get you get two and a half pennies to make this show. Rub yep. them together and see what you can do." And uh, and I was like, "Okay, but if we're doing this like five night a week late night talk show, I'm not shooting it in the middle of nowhere in the deep in the valley because first of all, like I'm a mom and I have 
children that are young and I have to like be close to them. Secondly, if we're trying to book guests, do you know how much less likely we will be able to get quality guests if we're like so it's Van Nuys and it's just like a chill 45 minute drive but guys we will send a car for you like absolutely not if I mean I am an actor doing press and if that were offered to me I would be like oh I'm so sorry I love you there's no fucking way way. I'm not doing it so I like I took it upon myself to like look for spots that stages that we could possibly use because we were sort of told I mean we were told that it was just not possible and then we were sort of offered half of the space of e-news but we what we would have to do would be wait until they were finished filming for the day (laughs) then move our set in on top of their set every day every day and then move it out and I was like, I also just don't know how that works logistically. It just doesn't really seem to make sense to me. And they're like, well, that's the best option unless you want to go to Van Nuys. So anyway, my old neighbor was like one of the guys that started Siren Studios in Los Angeles. And I was like, Dino had, I feel like he has like a stage on Highland that's like across from where Ammo used to be that I feel like like the comedy bang bang guys film I feel like we could do it we go to see this building it's like obviously more expensive it's the state it's like one stage and some rooms it's obviously more expensive than anybody thought we should be spending right but it wasn't that much more expensive it was like right somewhat right Casey it was like it wasn't that much more expensive it's like more expensive than a quote-unquote free stage but then when you count how much money it would cost to move a set in and off in and out of a free stage i think that's expensive as well and also guys what if like something like what if there had been like an entertainment emergency and (laughs) e-news had to like break in live to like give you the scoop like what would happen anyway bachelorette constantly fucks things up from what i understand (laughs) for a show that i never watch i know so much about it for that exact reason because they're constantly like you will never believe what just happened on the bachelorette and it's news for like three days straight exactly or like somebody could die you never know anyway we but this but they're like there's no there's not enough room here for your entire post production your like pro, your all your departments and your writing staff like you you can't afford office space in addition to this office space that's here so everything has to fit in this if we're going to spend this money everything has to fit in this fucking building and Casey and I were like uh-huh yeah we <laughs> Go for like it. real high, real high pitched and thin. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. We could do that. And it was, but because of that, it was like truly a firehouse sorority right. insanity. And everyone was like on top of each other and like on, you know, like when the crew would come in, fucking forget it. And then we would have an audience come in. There was just no space for anything <laughs> anywhere. You had no problem. It was so fun. And and then our show was canceled and I was so sad. And um, and I was like, we're going to get it. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And then they, um, 
And then a little bit later, they announced Lily Singh's show for NBC. And I was like, that's great. I'm really happy for her. And then they, um, and then we found out that they were, that, uh, they were going to just take over our stage. And, and they then, came to like measure stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> measure stuff while we were there. Like, and I was like, while we were there. This feels, you know, I am not a person who ever wants to be pitted against another woman, but you are really pushing it. Like it, it felt like, it felt like they were like trying to get me to like be fucking pissed, you know? Oh and like I wasn't already. And, uh, and so then, yeah, they moved in on those, they moved into those stages, but I had, but they, they didn't use it in the same way. And they had like a full office park, like around the corner. Did you know that Casey? Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah. They I had guess. like a full, they had like a full office building. I guess where when they you're like, on a, on a network, you get a little bit bigger budge. I wouldn't have traded it. I wouldn't have traded it for no. the fucking world. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It was like literally like freshman year of college, but better. And I loved it. And I'm sad. I'm sad that it's Lin- over. Lindsay Crystal, one of our producers just said she can't stop thinking of, um, how we would have made it if we made the show through the pandemic because of how we would have stayed six feet apart because we loved each other so much and we touched we touched so much well we probably would have all gotten covid so maybe they say (laughs) so you know honestly honestly maybe those motherfuckers at e saved my goddamn life (laughs) that's what i'm gonna choose to believe um, Danielle, Danielle, all of this to say, what are you doing your best at this week? Uh, <laughs> I am, I'm doing my best at trying to keep my shit together in this new house. So I, I just purchased my first home. Uh, I left LA and came back to New York and I'm living in my hometown. And Wild. I am one person, but I bought a little farm and it's like, a five bedroom. Wait, guest you're house. Casey's friend who bought the farm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Why? I have a I have a barn that I'm just convinced is a murder shack. I've never got. There's a gopher there that I've named Chauncey. He can have the whole thing. <laughs> he can have the it's whole Chauncey thing. Chauncey Shack. It's-, it's Chauncey Shack now. There are deer in the back. There's like 15 deer doing calisthenics every morning. I'm like, great. That part of the yard's <laughs> yours. Knock yourself out. I had. The most terrifying first couple of days here of my own, of just purely of my own volition. Like I, I got here, um, I don't lived in LA for like four years, but I lived in this one bedroom apartment in Silver Lake. And I thought this is going to be so easy to move in here, guys. Like it'll be no problem. Like one bedroom into this huge house, like it's going to be great. I got here six days before my stuff did. So I just slept on an air mattress for like a week. (laughs) That's fucking terrible. (laughs) The first night I was here and the house was empty for like three or four months before I moved in. Right. Like the owners was was out of here. It was just empty. It was like dust, cobwebs. (laughs) Like there was a dead wasp in the kitchen sink. And I was like, I have to burn this place to the ground. So (laughs) I had a real panic attack about that first and foremost. But the first night I got in really late. I traveled all day. I was with my fucking cat who is not a good traveler. And well, cats, historically speaking, are not known for their travel abilities at all. I mean, he was in an open mouth scream for like eight hours all day. <laughs> no, that's how they smell. You know that, right? Yes. So yes. he was like, 
<laughs> what's like, happening where am i now like i'm under yeah. a seat and a thing like he was a freaking the fuck out and i found out he already had it tough because i found out before i left i didn't know this but my vet in la is like an anti-vaxxer she hadn't <laughs> been giving him his rabies shot for like three years oh no because i called her i'm like i need his records to get on this flight and she's like oh yeah we usually have to um you know, the airlines usually require that they get their shots within 30 days of going. So I'll come over Monday. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm leaving in two weeks. And she's like, well, I haven't been giving him his his vaccines because he's an indoor cat and he's fine. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> she's like, oh yeah, I have God. not been vaccinating this cat. So then I had to find an air, cancel a ticket, find an airline that would take this unvaccinated fucking cat on this plane with me. Finally got him on the flight. And he's freaking out the whole time. But she gave me, I think because she felt bad, she gave me a pill that he could take. She's like, give it to him like two hours before you fly. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. I gave him the pill and he freaked out more than he would have if I hadn't given him nothing. He was so loopy. His eyes were like rolled back in his head and he was still like, ah, so (laughs) like spitting fire at me. So the day was long. You should have taken that pill. I almost popped one of those pills. I was like, can I just take a trazodone and call (laughs) it a day? (laughs) I think you do have to be careful with pets and those pills and stuff. Like, I I think you need to test it or like, you know, before you go, because it's like could be a bad reaction and then you're on an airplane stock. Completely. I don't even know why I trusted her. Like she'd been lying to me for three years. So (laughs) that was on me. That was on me. I mean, you trust the people that you are, are, you know, that you get to take care of your pets. I was trying so hard to make him comfortable and he just wasn't. And we flew into Newark and then had to drive like an hour and a half away. Basically, I got here at night and there are no outside lights. No. And it's the middle of, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm on a farm. Can't get, you guys, you can't arrive anywhere in the middle of night. No. Everybody should know that. Especially not at your new haunted farm. No. Exactly. Like even if you're dropping me into Paris in the middle of the night, I'm going to be like, where am I sleeping? What's going on? Like I'm not happy mm-hmm. arriving late. So I get here. There's no lights. I open the door. I did turn on the electricity. Um, so I came in and I was like, okay, I guess I have to bring all my boxes in now with my bed. My air mattress, my pillows, everything I shipped to myself. I tried to pick a room to set up in. My friend convinced me to stay downstairs. She's like, don't go upstairs. It'll be too overwhelming. I pick a room downstairs and I felt so exposed. Just windows everywhere into darkness. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. I Mm -mm. did what any adult woman would do. I called my older brother sobbing. And I was like... (gasps) I'm okay. I'm just in this house by myself and there's windows everywhere. And he's like, I'm coming over. And I'm like, no, don't come over. I'm fine. And he's like, I'll come over with some old sheets and you can just at least hang them in the fucking window and go to bed. And I was like, it's okay. It's midnight. It's too late. But he did. He came over, total sweetheart. um, And he hung these sheets and he's like, I can stay with you till you like fall asleep. And I'm like, you can't because you won't be able to lock the door behind you and there's clearly murderers everywhere. Everywhere. Like what you don't know is that I've purchased a house in my old neighborhood that's filled with murderers. That's the other thing that is hilarious about this is both he and my friend who lives here were like, you grew up here. You know absolutely that there's no one doing anything lascivious here. Like we all grew up not locking our doors. No, but like, it just is so scary when you're in a new place. And yes. I really feel for you. I really get it. I fucking get it. And I'm a someone woman, comes I'm to murder myself. you and they're like, oh my God, Danielle, hey. <laughs> Ages. <laughs> 90, class of 95, right? <laughs> How it are you? So 
rough and there's like just doors and windows everywhere and I was like okay okay I can do this I can do this and then I started to have the panic of this is a horrible decision like I should not have bought this house I should not have moved back here so it was just a lot of sleepless nights but I got through it um that was on Wednesday was my first night Thursday and Friday were I I just went into a fugue state I don't even remember what I did on those two days Uh, it was raining you unpacked stuff (laughs) I just like my stuff wasn't even here I just sat in an empty house for two days like shaking I don't know what I did and then my stuff got here yesterday um but on Saturday my family came over and they all helped me clean and they brought pizza and like hung out and it was very lively and part of the reason I mean the primary reason I moved here is that um, I want my grandma to move in with me. Uh, She is 88 and she has dementia and she's very quickly getting to a point where she's not going to be able to live alone. So it was kind of nice to bring her over here because she was Mm -hmm. like excited. She's like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like we have our own space. I'm like, yeah, you can have like the whole downstairs. I can have the whole upstairs. I'll never even see you. She's like, well, I want to see you if I'm here. (laughs) She's starting to get excited about it. What I do know from the first 15 pages of your new memoir that comes out next Tuesday um, is that your grandma really raised you and took care of you, but that you guys like literally lived in a very small place together with yes. your brother and your aunt too. Did your my aunt granddad. live there? Everybody, my and granddad, granddad and my uncle. <laughs> and your uncle. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and so you and your grandma like kind of like shared a room like you guys have been you've been but this is like a very sweet full circle moment of her being you being able to take care of her now I might start to cry right I know I know I cry I cry thinking about it sometimes because I think it's it's unexpected like everything in my life but it's the best possible outcome that I could have had is that when she needed me I could be here for her the way that she was there for me when I needed her and we do have a really special relationship. We're really close. And I just feel like it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. It's going to be very difficult. I'm not at all, you know, trying to pretend that living with someone who's in the early stages of dementia will be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done my best to, like, work as hard as I can to get to a place where I can take care of her. And that's that's what I did. I never wanted kids. When I was seven, I was like, nope, not doing that. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to care for people in my life. And so I think that it's nice Aww. that I can put that love and energy somewhere. And I'm I'm putting it towards her right now. Well, That's you really are sweet. one of the most caring people that I know. Aww, I mean, you, you care for everyone, at, you know, when, <laughs> when at that famous party, at the famous party that where Danielle got me and my husband and a lot of people drunk. I generally, um, <laughs> I went to the server on the way out and I was like, here's my, here's my card number. Here's your tip. Keep them oh coming. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> that was also my 18 year old son um, was, you know, that was right before it was the summer before he was going off to college. Yeah. And uh, I turned around to see Danielle putting her phone number in his phone and saying, if something happens and you get arrested, Call Auntie Danielle first, and we'll see if we can, we'll see if we can take care of it before before you have I to call mom. Bail and- money. I offered bail. I'm like, I'll come pick you up. You can have bail money. They are very like- political. Your children are very political. <laughs> we'll see if we can handle it before we have to call mom and dad and get them all upset. Priceless. Yes. That's priceless. Yeah, because you knew if they get arrested, it's probably for like 
you know. Yeah, for like protesting a, a for nuclear plant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're such sweet kids. They're they're both just <laughs> the most wonderful kids. And I say that to even my seven-year-old goddaughter. I'm like, if you get in trouble and you don't want to tell your mom, just call me. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, just call kids me. need a safe space. It's yeah. great to be that safe space for, for children. Yeah. They don't have to be your own. It could be other people's kids. You know? exactly. I, also, exactly. I also really appreciated it. I got to say it as a parent because I know as a kid, I really always appreciated feeling like I had people that I could work stuff out with before you know before you know yeah just it's sometimes it's hard to tell your parents everything completely I mean sometimes (laughs) (laughs) or always or anything ever yeah yeah feels like it's and that's the way that thing it's a real thing. And that's I don't know I, I didn't have it as a kid you know I didn't have that as a kid so I definitely appreciate when when it shows up in my life and when I'm able to give to give that back and yeah I just it, it feels good to be back I haven't even like I've been panicking so much that I haven't really had time to adjust to the fact that I moved back to my hometown where I have not lived it's, since I was 17 <laughs> I mean wild it's wild wow it's you have bonkers. some days ahead you have some days ahead Danielle completely it's interesting it's interesting moving is a theme I think a lot of people this year are moving a lot of people are choosing to be closer to family than they maybe were before. A lot of people are like, I think you're not alone in that. Oh, completely. I'd kind of had it with cities, you know, like I think that I, my neighbor in LA was a nightmare. I had a nice little duplex situation for a while with a great neighbor. He moved to get more space during the pandemic. And this total nightmare human being moved in parties, no mask, like just total nightmare and it's too close quarters too close quarters so Mm -hmm. I decided not only did I not want to live near her I just didn't want to have a neighbor ever again so I just have to deal with the murder thoughts on the back of that that's what the trade-off is there's no murderers (laughs) just gophers deers and murderers gophers it is a theme Paula Pell is our guest today on the podcast and when we it's been hard to lock Paula down. I'm not going to lie. It's been hard to nail her down because she also has been in the process of this big move with her wife, Janine, and they also moved into the country and uh, they also have like 47 animals. Like, like, like 46 of them are dogs. Well, it's I, the amount of... Te- Paula at one point was like, my dear heart, I do just feel like I keep texting you with horrible things that have happened to an animal. And I was like, I know you kind of have, but when you have 47 of them, like things are bound to happen. you like, and Paula is like such a big heart, warm hearted human and such an animal lover that like Paula is the one that will see like a dog that's like, this dog is probably 18 years old and Aww. it's got one tooth left in its head and a crossed eye, but its owner is, can no longer care for it. Can somebody take it? And Paula will be like, I guess it's me. I guess I'm just, you know what? You know what? I'm not, that little soul needs to come to me. So Paula is just that, that person, but they've been moving and I know her and it's been just like very overwhelming and like opening the box because moving during the pandemic is a whole vibe and I have yeah. the same situation myself, but Paula and Janine were not able to pack up their own house, their stuff, because she was here for Girls 5 Eva and um, 
they had left during they had left their house during the pandemic and gone to be closer to where Paula's parents were because Paula was concerned about her parents, but just to be like within driving distance. But they didn't they weren't planning on leaving. And then like me decided to leave, sold the house and then somebody else had to pack them up and move it out here. And she's like totally overwhelmed by the experience. And I fully relate to it. But she's like my fate. I mean, truly like one of my favorite people ever. And when those wine country, we didn't even really talk about it, Casey. But when those wine country gals came and did busy tonight, that was so fun. I loved it. I I really loved it. It, You know, just um, again, because like always just working down the hall from those SNL girls, I felt like I knew them and always wanted to get to know them better And so it's always nice for me to have any brush with them. And my favorite moment was when Tina was like, oh, Casey, I really want to introduce you to someone because you have a lot in common. Here's Maya Rudolph. And Maya was like, girl, we just ran into each other at Sheila E's estate sale. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most Casey sentence of all time. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> she was like, we've, we've met, we've met, um, which was so really funny, funny to me. And then, and to like, just meet Amy Poehler and have her say like, I've heard, I've heard about you and you know, like, it's just, it's, it's really nice. I look up to all those women so much. Well, and the other admire. thing that I love so much about them is just, you know, it's not, look, it's not, you know, it's not easy to do what we do as women in this in this business and that they have formed this pack of of ladies that like really support and show up for one another like consistently over the years and, mm-hmm. you know, ha- have continued to figure out, ha- you know, have brought new people in and and mentored other young women. I mean, Amy's company is, does such incredible stuff. Um, Maya's got the company now with Natasha Leone, right. And they're doing stuff. Tina's like the it's same, right. As opposed to what can happen, which is like, you know, women finding themselves in those positions of, of having some clout are like, great guys. Thanks. See ya. Uh, mm-hmm. where are the guys, where are the dudes that I, you know, where are those guys? I, I want to work with those guys. Right. You know, like they keep, you know, Anna Gastire and Rachel Dratch and like, yeah. 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 Pulling each other in and pulling each other up, which is great. Pulling There's each even- other in and pulling each other up. Yes. <laughs> that is the way to say it. They're like the support bra of life for each other. <laughs> the support bra of life. I love it. Okay. Well, Here's our delightful conversation with my delightful friend and Girls 5 Eva co-star, Paula Pell. Enjoy. Oh, Bev, you know how I love you. Guys, I feel like I'm seconds away from being asked by Bev to be their like chief creative officer or whatever. Cause I feel like, I feel like I've seen so many people that are like, I'm now like the brand officer of like this company. And I'm like, that's me and Bev, except not yet. But I do love it. I drank one last night. I personally also love supporting a female founded and run business, yes. which Bev is. Uh, 
And I love that rosé, guys. Rosé all day. Oh, boy. I'm sorry I said that. But I'm not <laughs> sorry that I drink Bev. Yes. Um, it's a female-first canned wine brand that was founded to change not only the way a product is consumed, but the way an entire industry and culture have operated for generations. Um, it's an industry that's almost exclusively masculine. You know how I feel about that. Bev is breaking norms, creating something from the female perspective that's approachable and fun and consumer-centric. There's four varietals, Rosé, you know, my fave, Sauve Blanc, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir. The wines are like very dry and crisp and a little fuzzy. I kind of want one right now. It's Maybe I'm going to have one. I don't know. They have zero sugar and only three carbs and 100 calories per serving, which is not something I particularly care about, but... It's if good to know. Do. Yeah, if you if do. If you do. Bev makes it easy to have just like a glass of wine and not overindulge. It's perfect for when you're cutting back on sugar or drinking. It's also perfect for when you're like, I don't want to open a whole bottle of wine because I just want this glass right now and I might not want another glass of wine till next week. Um, the cans look cute and tiny, but each can is a glass and a half of wine and a 24 pack is equal to eight bottles. Their four packs are great for bringing over to your friends' houses, too. Just FYI. Now that we're doing that again. Now that we're doing that. And Bev ships straight to your door, and shipping is always free. So we've worked out an exclusive deal for Busy Phillips' Doing Your Best podcast listeners. Receive 20% off your first purchase, plus free shipping on all orders. I personally suggest try out the best-selling ladies night variety pack first so you can check out all of the delicious varietals and then you know which one you want to reorder more and more and more of for me it was the rosé did (laughs) i say that already (laughs) go to drinkbev.com slash busy or use code busy at checkout to claim the deal that's d-r-i-n-k-b-e-v.com slash busy public goods Public goods, everybody loves some public goods. Public goods, public goods, everybody loves their public goods. I don't know if that one was good, but I liked it. Um, we use public goods. I like it. I like it a lot. I like the aesthetic and the cleanness of the packaging. Yes. And the products. Yes. It just like looks very clean and simple in your house and calming. There, It's not like bright colors and like logos coming at you and like you're like ugh, I gotta figure out like something else to put this thing in no I never understand for products that like are to clean your house why they look so chaotic you know what I mean so garish and so public goods (laughs) is just like hi I'm here to clean your house I also look very clean and calm exactly Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials that are made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything, you guys, from coffee, toilet paper, shampoo, pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. I gave uh, Gina some Public Goods little, little treats, little dehydrated chicken treats. Oh, today. nice. They also have like these cocoa almonds that are so delicious. They're like, oh, I ate those. I ate all those. Yeah, I ate them all I know, too because they're delicious. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I really like their shampoo and conditioner too. I like their hand soap. I have it in my bathroom currently. Yes. Um, 
They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They're committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is important to me. Yes. It should be important to you too. If it's not, maybe consider making it important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and also just the world. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. And, and they plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. So join hundreds and thousands of others who've switched to their new everything store. Uh, we worked out an awesome deal just for our listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. Did you hear me? That's, That's right. They're so confident that you're going to absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they're just giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase to try it out. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash busy or use code busy at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash B-U-S-Y to receive $15 off your first order. Wait, let's do, I want to do like an yes, official. Fish. Now, Paula, something you have to know about us. I'm like maybe terrible at podcasting. Um, I seriously doubt that. It's not true. Well, here's here's how we're going to, here's how you're going to know. Because I don't have anything formal prepared to introduce you. Um, you guys, we are so unbelievably thrilled and excited. It, the, the last, the remaining Girls 5 Eva member to be interviewed on the show. I had to be a dramatic you, bitch and come in at the end. <laughs> she, she did. Well, you know what? One thing Paula Pell is known for is her dramatic gravitas. <laughs> My cold gravitas. Yeah, but truly, you know and love Paula Pell from a million things. Um, a lot of people know her from Girls 5 Eva. <laughs> Also, I was in Sound of Music when I was in eighth grade. Maybe some people uh-huh. have seen that. Oh, eighth grade? Yeah, I was the mother superior in eighth grade. There you go. Uh, wine country. But wine country. Well, that's, I feel like wine country was really your like leading explosion into back, like in front of the camera. Because Paula's been a writer for many, many years. She created some of the most memorable characters from Saturday Night Live that we all love, specifically for me, Debbie Downer. Thank Debbie you. Downer's like, I mean, I'm, Debbie, I mean, I am Debbie Downer <laughs> a lot of times. People don't, people don't understand that about me, but I am. I think, I think and, we all are, and especially in this last year, I think everyone became like, you know, did you see the news? Did you see about the variant? Did you see about that? There was always something that, that we were all trying to tell each other and warn each other about with great intention. It's kind of true. Well, you know who else uh, we, uh, 
AP Bio, a lot of my sister, you know, my sister loves the AP Bio. Oh. Paula's so funny. She's like, busy. You've never watched it. I'm like, I haven't. But I keep, I keep meaning to. I keep meaning to. It's also on Peacock now. Um, and then I love the documentary now that Paula was in. If you guys don't watch documentary now, you should like, you should, that's like a, if it's like a rainy Saturday, I guess it's summer now, but it's such a good show. But Paula's like, uh, not just one of my favorite humans of all time. Like, I'm so lucky that we've gotten this chance to work together to become friends and know each other. But I do feel like we're at times I feel like we're related. I feel like I'm like your little sister in moments. I feel like I'm your daughter in other moments. I feel like I'm your mother in other moments. No, I don't know if I feel. And I'm so glad that you uh, have taken some time to talk to us about your pivots because, guys, Paul Pell has had a lot of pivots. This meeting is being recorded. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Do you remember on, on the old David Letterman show, they used to have a, a a voice that would just suddenly in the middle of an interview go, we are experiencing a lull. <laughs> there would be like a, a voice cue that would come in and it would make me laugh so hard. Wait, Paula, you know that you know that Casey's first job in entertainment, she was D- David Letterman's assistant for oh many years. Oh, my God. That's true. Oh, my God. It's true. So your, big, your biggest pivot was going to so be big- a writer on SNL. Yeah, I mean, that was my first big, big, big pivot, I think, in my life where I had such a blinders on of like, I am going, you know, when I was little, I wanted to be either a vet or be a performer and, and both of them I loved and I wanted to do both. But then I was like, I can't do the science and the vet part of it and uh, the heartbreak part so of I'll it. So I'll just rescue every animal. Yeah. I so see I'll, I'll just kind of be a half ass vet and, and uh, <laughs> in my home and then have a lot of like, you know, IV uh, saline bags, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, well you were, so you left like after high school, where did you go to college? I went to college, University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And you were and you were in performing arts and then you went to Florida. Well, I lived in Florida from when I was 15. I, my sophomore middle of my sophomore year, I moved to Florida um, with my family. My dad worked for Illinois Bell and then he got a job at AT&T in Florida. We moved and I thought my parents were in the mob or something <laughs> because we we had, you know, we were very modest financially. And then suddenly we were living in a giant house in Orlando with a giant pool. And it was because everything was so cheap. Like in Orlando at the time, it was so new, you know, everything in the seventies, it was like people were all starting to move and move their families to central Florida. And our house was like, I think, you know, $70,000. And it was like a, you know, four bedroom house with a giant pool. And when they showed us Polaroids, cause there were no cell phones, they brought home Polaroids of the house. We, my sister and I were like, um, did they like kill a rich person? And like, like, how are we doing this exactly? And, um, and, uh, so we really, uh, that was a big pivot in our life to go. I went from a little, from Illinois, from a little all girls Catholic high school that I loved to a giant public school in Orlando co-ed public school. And I remember the very first day there were boys in the bathroom sitting on the sink talking to a girl. And I came in to go to the bathroom and I was like, <laughs> oh, the bathroom. 
And I was such a nerd because I was, and I was like one of those girls that was like really close friends with all my teachers in my Catholic yeah. school. Catholic You're school. like having lunch with like Mrs. I was Miller. So <laughs> like adult child. And I just like always just really had a lot of private jokes with my teachers and everything. But, and then I moved to Florida and suddenly was with all these, you know, I, I, I ended up, I hated it at first for six months. I cried every day. And then I ended up getting involved with school and getting in choir and in a little club. And I, I, you know, got involved with um, theater and, really made some wonderful, wonderful friends I'm still close with today. And I loved, I ended up loving being in high school in Florida, but man, it took about a year of crying every day and going, what have, what have my parents done to my life that, you know, I would cry every day. There's an image that sometime I want to put in a movie or, or something that I write um, that is so ungodly, like beautifully sad to me is that my mom took me to the parking lot. It was like a two weeks into my new school and I had been so active in my other school and so, you know, and I was just devastatingly depressed um, without my friends and without, you know, my school and everything. And she, uh, I immediately got into choir and they were going to con like contest, like uh, the big, you know, regionals or like a very big uh, competition. And my mom, like a week into us moving, took me at five in the morning in the dark to the high school parking lot with the bus all lit up, you know, <laughs> and she, she like gave me my bags cause we were staying over to do this thing, driving to the contest and a uh, competition. And she just watched me go to the bus and get on and just kind of walk past everyone and just keep no. walking all the way to the back of the bus with this illuminated bus in the dark <laughs> in the high school parking lot. And she said she sat and cried for an hour because she was like, what have I done to my child that like I took all of her joy? And then within six months, uh, you know, I was having fun and getting very drunk at house parties. <laughs> and, uh, I was just telling some people the other day that I, at house parties in high school, I used to get bit by animals a lot because <laughs> I would get drunk and then I would go upstairs to use the bathroom and like everyone else was banging in the in the bedrooms. And I would always be like, I hear a dog or I hear a cat up here. And then I'd go in and be like, there'd be some like real stoic, sweet cat sitting there on a pillow. And I'd be like, well, who are you? Well, what, well, what are you, what, who are you? <laughs> your name? Do you have a tag? Is your name on your tag? Oh, let me see. <laughs> and then I'd get like bit in the nose or the lip or the face. And then I'd quietly leave the party <laughs> while everyone was having sex and not paying attention. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Anyway, oh my to answer God. your question, I went to high school in Florida and then I went to University of Tennessee in Knoxville to be closer to my first girlfriend, my secret girlfriend because I was so closeted. She was my best friend in high school. And after high school, she went to North Carolina to college and I wanted to be near her. And I also heard that UT had a great theater department. And so I went, my art professor in my first two years of uh, community college in Orlando, then I went my junior year for three years to University of Tennessee. And Paula is an incredible artist, visual artist. Thank you. And you are. And you're what's I'm very excited. You'll have to I'll make you come back and do this again when your book comes out next year. I think 20. 
I think so. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I'm a little late in handing it in. So <laughs> <laughs> no one's no one's ever on time, Paula, handing handing in their books. I have a like I have a I have a new uh, craft for you and I to do together next year. Nice. I bought us I bought us weaving kits. <gasps> I would love that. So we can make the only like thing I've ever done is those little loops, like the little pulling through the loops. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. crochet from the 70s. And knit, but I, um, I have, uh, I've never, I've never done that. And I've always wanted to weave. Me too. Well, we have to, we have to figure out how to do it. But what I love is that Paula then was a performer. I mean, you were like, you were huffing it perf- being a performer, being an actor. And Paula was in a commercial in the eighties, I was in a commercial. I was in a series of commercials in the eighties that, um, I, I went to an audition for a, a Florida lottery commercial for the new scratch offs for bingo tickets. And we, and we had to sing bingo B I N G O B I. And it was a, it was a funny commercial where this woman named Agnes was sitting at a Wurlitzer organ and she's singing and playing and singing bingo and then the guy walks up who was this kind of famous um, sports commentator. He comes up to the camera and he goes, if you want Agnes to shut up, just buy the tickets or whatever. And then and then he'd come back the next commercial and go, the tickets are, are you know, going out like hotcakes. So thank you. And then he does this. And then I fell through the floor with the Orlitz or organ. They would always do something to me to, to try to shut me up or destroy me or throw me out of a plane or whatever. Anyway, I went to the audition this is the brute. This is a brutal moment in show business, but I was on the good side of it. Is I went to an audition. There were all these different kind of quirky character ladies trying out for this crazy character, Agnes. And one lady had a were a little Casio that looked like a guitar, but it was an organ. And it was a really funny prop. It was like a really something that you'd go, I'm gonna bring this with me to the audition and play this. And those those guys at the casting were like, do you mind if other people use that? And that poor person had other people using it in there. So I went in and I did started singing bingo. And then I pressed each and I played the piano a little bit. So I pressed each rhythm and each like style. And then I would sing bingo (laughs) in that style. So I got the, I got the part that girl bless I hope she survived did, that incident. Did not. Poor organ. And um, it's probably, she's probably like some famous, uh, she's probably Kathy Bates or somebody. <laughs> um, but uh, so we, uh, so I did that commercial and it was such a hit that I did so many of them for like two solid years. I did them, people recognize me from and they'd be like, what oh year, what year know, was they, it? I would say late 80s, early yeah. 90s, maybe. And so yeah. everyone was like, oh my God, it was everywhere. It was like we did on radio, we had posters that it was everywhere. And I had a big uh, uh, bouffant, like, you know, big, uh, big organ that I, that I, uh, <laughs> I've filmed with a lot of big organs in my life. <laughs> Anyway, um, that'll be the second <laughs> podcast. That's your podcast noir. But um, so so I did I I did these commercials and they were such a hit that other lotteries 
wanted to use that kind of campaign. So then they, I got a call from Kansas and I got a call from Arizona and I got a call from New Mexico. And all these places were like, our lottery wants to do the bingo lady for our bingo scratch us. So one day I'm with Busy doing Girls 5 Eva and I said something about doing, I showed them an old picture. Well, you started, to, you were like, B-I-N-G-O, and I was like, wait, what are you doing? And That's she was like, you? <laughs> she was like, I grew up with that. I grew up with that. I girl. know her. I remember those commercials like so they were like they're seared into my head guys if, at home if you are of the same age and you also watched Oprah or Saved by the Bell after school and you saw the bingo lady in Indiana for the scratch off Indiana was the other big one I did Indiana so it was, was Arizona crazy. it was Indiana. Arizona Indiana I want to say Kansas and Florida and Florida, I, I like as I died when I found out that Paula was the bingo lady with the big beehive hairdo. It it was really my first. I have to say, it was like my little training for being an actor and for being doing show any kind of showbiz job because I, it was the first time I ever flew anywhere to do anything. I mean, they would fly me there and have a little hotel or a little you know B and B that I stayed at and. And they would just, you know, treat me so well. And here's a little voucher for your meals. And I'd be like, God, like my meals are free. Like I was so excited to be getting paid to do stuff. And this was around the time that I was performing at theme parks. And those theme park jobs are wonderful. I mean, I had great insurance. I had great pay. I worked at night. I had so much fun for so many years in those jobs at the theme parks. And, and um, but doing that lottery stuff, when I did Indiana, it was so nuts that I like threw out the first ball at the Pacers game. Oh, wow. I, had own, <laughs> I had my own float in the St. Patrick's Day parade, which is huge in Indianapolis and Indiana. And uh, like I'm literally playing an organ on the float as I'm going through the St. Pat's parade. Like I have so many old videos of all that stuff, but um, but it was the first time I ever had anything that was like, and the funny thing was I was doing a lot of artwork at the time. So I would do these very sort of more sophisticated art festivals and in Orlando, like winter park art festival was like the one you wanted to get in. And, and I have my booth there and then someone would come up and go sing bingo. <laughs> She's a girl from bingo. Sing the, sing the bingo song. And I kind of loved that I was a jack of all trades and that I, you know, was doing both because I always wanted to do a little bit of of all of it. I didn't want to, to, you know, but when I went to SNL and became a writer, I was like, they were like, put that all away and you're this, you know. They didn't tell me to stop doing artwork, but they just said, you're a writer and, you know, pay attention to that rather than try to be an actor. So how did the SNL come about? Because I think it's super interesting most of the people that we talk to on the show, they're like, their pivot is when they don't get cast on SNL. Literally every single right, guest Casey? that has been on this show every is like, single. the pivot in my life is when I was not cast on SNL. Isn't that funny? Well, and I mean, you know, if I if someone would have said to me growing up, because I, all I ever did was act and all I ever did was, you know, I did drama and comedy, but I did theater and, and musical theater and, and drama and comedy and everything all through, got my degree in theater. And then, and if someone would have said, oh, guess what? Later in your life, you're going to work at SNL for almost 20 years. Like I would think that I maybe was in the cast because that's all I ever did. Yeah. So, 
what happened was that my good, very good friends in Orlando who were all very talented and a lot of them ended up living in LA and New York and they're, they're all very talented people, um, writers and comedians uh, and improv people, like incredible improv people. I was not an improv person. I never, I was not in Illinois when I didn't do Second City. I moved when I was 15 out of there to Florida. So I was never around improv. I was always theater but I loved writing characters and performing them. So they would have these nights at their improv theater in Orlando where they would have different guest stars. I mean, guest actors come and do little stuff that they'd written. And so I would come, they'd be like, Hey, you want to come and um, and I had worked with them at the theme parks and they're like, do you want to come and do a character? Just write like a, you know, five minute sketch doing a character. So I would do these characters on there. And their evenings of that sketch comedy stuff on the non-improv nights. And so they decided to do a pilot that I think Disney was producing. And they did this pilot that was really funny sketch comedy called Chucklehead. And they asked me to do some of my characters in it. So I was also in a couple of their sketches. And then I did these characters. And one of them was a choir director who's teaching her kids um, Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. So it was <laughs> like this woman going, hey, hey, mama, say the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you And I did this whole thing and I told them, you know, when you're moving into this part, and it was just this whole bit. So I did that and um, in that pilot. So by now I had left Disney and I was working at murder. She wrote post-production attraction during the day at universal studios. And, (laughs) and uh, which was an actual, you know, like a, a, an attraction there at universal for a while back in the day. And when I'm obsessed that murder, she wrote had an attraction at universal studios. It it was like, it was like a theater that rotated. And each time it rotated, you went into a different post-production thing. So you were in the editing bay, then you were in the ADR, then you were in the, and you learn, and then people would get up on stage and their little, you know, shorts, dad, like vacation, dad would come up and do a voice into the thing as the murderer. And then we would watch at the end, the whole, scene from murder she wrote that was you know with <laughs> jessica fletcher and with all the, that but with the dad's voice like with the dad's in. voice in it so it was a oh real crowd pleaser like people freaking loved it like it was such a good crowd oh, my God. it was really a fun job but i'm sitting in the green room there and my local agent in orlando um calls the landline because we didn't have cells i keep saying we didn't have cell phones <laughs> um so we had a phone with a cord on the wall and i heard the phone rang and somebody said, Paula, for you. And it was my agent. And she said, are you sitting down? And I said, no, but I will. And she said that uh, SNL called and they saw that pilot and they want to meet you. And I was like, what? And and they said, they want you to come up this week just for two nights. They'll fly you up, keep you at a hotel. They want you to come. And I was like, isn't an audition? And they were like, nope, it's not an audition. And I, I was like, well, what the hell is it? You know, and they, they said it's, they just want to talk to you. So I flew up. I still put my little character comedy glasses in my purse. And just <laughs> they, they threw me a little pivot there and threw, called an audible. And we're like, you know what? Do your character with the glasses. And I'm like, well, I do 10 characters with these glasses. So tell me which one. And 
So I went up, I ha- had like serious nervous diarrhea and I uh, went in and sat with Lauren and he was like, that was 95. And that was when they, well, Farrell just came. All of those people just got, everyone got pretty much canned and they completely put in all new writers and actors except for like maybe three or four. And he said, you know, the Phoenix has risen from the ashes before. We're going to try to do it again. And we have one more slot for a writer and we would like to hire you as a writer. And I was like, well, I don't do that. Like, I don't, I've never written for television. I've never written for anyone else. I've never, I've written... You know, I I tried to talk them out of it for quite a while. That is, this is to me, this is the fucking craziest thing. No writing sample, no, like nothing. And they just were like, we've just decided you're the, you're it. You're the person. And I will say this, this. I have been in the room later because I was always part of the group that was like hiring people later. So I, I know that phenomenon of like, if they see someone perform something they wrote and they really like the writing, like if, if it's not right, right then, or they just don't want the person as an an actor, they, but they love their writing. They're like, they should be a writer here, you know, that they wrote that and it's perfect for, you know, the show or whatever. So I, but at the time, all I knew of SNL, I was obsessed with it my whole life. I audio taped it back in the day, you know, like with my little Panasonic recorder, I memorized it. I did Roseanne, Rosanna Dana for school assemblies. I, I was obsessed with SNL, but I only knew the writers as like the Harvard guys and like, yeah, very sure. sophisticated, you know, like just Michael O'Donoghue, like all these people that were so not of my world that I thought, I was terrified at the thought of me being in a room with all those guys and them being like, who hired this person? Why is she here? Like she, you know, she is like, what? And she doesn't understand any of our Harvard references. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was very, very scared about it. And then I also just didn't, I weirdly was terrified at how it was so sudden because I thought, anyone that I had ever talked to that knew of that process was like, Oh God, they have people come in a bunch of times and everything. And I don't mean this to be an anecdote of like, gee, it was just so easy for me. It was wild. Cause I fucking hate when people tell those stories of like, yeah, I never had any trouble with that. Or like, yeah, I tried to lose weight and I lost it and never gained back. You know, like people that are giving you the, like, it was easy. <laughs> so uh, you can, you can flip a bird to me on that moment. But what I was truly terrified of was somehow I was getting involved in something that was like, not right. Like I felt like it was weird, like a trick. Yeah. I felt like, why is this so, is this some sort of program they have? And then this is going to be awful. Like, do, do I, am I going to really be writing or is this something they need more? Like, and especially with women in comedy, like I was like, mm-hmm. what, what is the, then. What's the asterisk at the bottom of the page here? Like, what what is this really? Because it's too weird and sudden, and and uh, even and then, if you're telling it, it, I feel that way for you, Paula. Yeah, like I even, felt even in really your telling it. in a weird way, but also like I was very scared, and I went home and cried to my mom, and my mom said, "What is the worst case scenario?" And I was like, "The worst case scenario is me." going to the place I've always loved and dreamt of being at and, and fail miserably because it's something I don't do. And she's like, 
but so what? She's like, go do it for a year and meet all the people and get to be there. And then if you did, you won't fail, but if you do like, so what? Like she really made me realize to just do it. And then about, uh, I had to be there in five days and about two <laughs> days before, about two days before I left, I was frantically packing up, trying to pawn off my animals on my mom for a while, all this stuff. I had a little rental house because I was lit, working at Disney for a long time and I had a cute car and and I had a cute little house and I was really living a very comfortable actor life for an actor. Um, and and I about two days before I left, Mike Shoemaker, who is, you know, created, you know, Jimmy Fallon show with Jimmy, cre- now created Seth Meyers show all these years, m- the most amazing producer ever that has ever lived and friend and person. He called and I answered the phone and he said, hi, I'm Mike Shoemaker. I'm going to be the producer, your producer at SNL. And, and he said, there's a couple people that want to talk to you. And he had the two other female writers, Lori Nasso and Cindy Caponero, who are still my dear heart friends today. They get on the phone and they're like, hi, they're like, we can't wait for you to get here. We're scared. Like we're, and they were both actor writers And it just made like everything fall away because he knew exactly what I needed was just to know that there are people that are at this place that are not the Harvard guys that are not. And some of those Harvard guys ended up being very old, good friends of mine. They were wonderful people. But I was so terrified of being the other and coming there and being this chubby young woman that went to school in Tennessee and like, you know, and they're all these Harvard guys. And these girls were from like Chicago and Canada and they were just all so wonderful. And we came and we all, you know, went out every night drinking and like had so much fun. It was like going away to college again. And, uh, and then I just never left. I mean, I, <laughs> I laughed 20 and years And then I was later. just there for 20 years. I and just I wrote there for iconic characters. <laughs> Paula, I want to, I, I do uh, want to. out a lot of my adrenals. <laughs> I do want to say something uh, for anyone young who's listening, because Paula said something really important that you, you can flip her the bird about uh, like how she doesn't want to say like, Oh, this, like I had this really easy experience getting into this. That happens sometimes every once in a blue moon, you will have an easy experience falling into something. That's great. Something wonderful. Something wonderful. But Getting into something is one thing. Staying in that something is a whole, and that is never easy. Staying in is a battle. Yeah, I will. I will say this also that because I remember, I I got I got canned from Disney. I don't I don't tell this often, but um, I think I told it the other day on something. But like I I got fired from Disney unexpectedly, and it was like devastating because I was kind of the main character of the place that I worked at. And it was, I was so successful there and everything, but I had sort of topped out pay wise and I'd been there for a few years and they were like auditioning new people and they just like decided to can me. And it was so, it fucked me up so bad. And, um, the guy that canned me, the director that canned me, I saw him right before I left to go to SNL because they had like a little party for me. And he was like, see how great, see how this like, you know, and I was pissed because I was like, don't try to take credit for like, this is 
I, I got, you know, you, your firing me and devastation led to this good thing. But I, I, I got to where I started disliking when people would say lucky, because they'd say like, oh my God, that was so crazy and random and lucky. And then I really thought like I had been working for so many years up until then doing all this other stuff. But because this was a different kind of job, in my head, I didn't deserve it. And so I felt like it was so quick and mm. weird, but really it was exactly what I was supposed to pivot to. It was what my, whatever was moving the pieces in the universe was like, okay. And then when she gets to this point, she is going to be a writer. And then later in her life, when she ages into her gray hair, <laughs> and doesn't have to spray it gray anymore. She will become an actor again. <laughs> wait, but wait, wait, cause this is like so this is this is correct, but also, how old were you when you were playing like the old lady with at the at the uh, organ? Oh, weren't you supposed to be? 20s. You were supposed to be like you were like in your twenties. No, I was you were supposed, supposed to, be, to be like no, fifty-five. I have, I have endless photos of me like as as an old lady that I genuinely look like I'm 55. Like I, I was born <laughs> at 50. I was born at 50. I, I played the mother superior in sound and music in eighth grade and the video of it that I have seen before. You would think it was a 50 year old woman. I like <laughs> Maria, you should be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills shall sing to you. <laughs> and I had zits, like I had zits on the side of my jaw and I was singing and pizza breath and braces and I was singing climb every mountain. And you look 55 years old and had looked <laughs> and probably had stretch marks. Like I had given birth to eight children, but those were just stretch marks from being chubby. But um, I always, always was. Old. And my journal was always like, I shall never forget this day. <laughs> Why do you think you've oh, always had middle aged energy? Oh, I had so much middle-aged energy. <laughs> and now I'm trying to like, you know, do hip hop moves at late fifties with a girl group in a TV show and pop my splingy, do the splingy <laughs> and pop my ass. And even singing wise, like I've never sung the style of singing really. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've always harmonized. I love harmonizing, but I've always sung like, you know, seventies music or, 80s, but like not done this like this sort of 90s girl groupy sort of music. Paula always takes the alto line. You did. I'm always always the us. alto line. You did a ama- amazing job. I really hold job. down the fort. Yeah, I hold yeah. down the fort. I really hold down the fort with those low notes, just low to the ground. Was it ever hard for you at SNL when you would like create a character? I mean, and you you'd have to give it to Sherry O'Terry or I don't know who, who else, I mean, you know, anyone, I, anyone who was there. I would yeah. say that the, the hardest ones were the music. If I wrote something with music, it was always hard for me because I loved singing so much and I had done it constantly my whole life up until I went to SNL. So when I, when I went to SNL, cause I sang at Disney and everything too. So when I went to SNL and wrote music and we would be in rehearsal and they'd have the music there and we'd go over the parts and they'd harmonize and they'd sing the stuff with the host. And I would sit there and really be silently sad about that. But I was also 
excited if it was going well, because it would also help me in my job and my, my fun of my job of it being successful. But it was a weird peripheral thing that it was like a little jog over. It wasn't that adrenaline, that joy adrenaline. It was like, it's like dance moms watching their kid dancing and going like, Whoo! like being, but they're not dancing. Right. Like it's not, it's right. not the same exhilaration right. in your body, you know? But then also you yeah. said when you went to SNL, you know, they were kind of like, okay, now you're a writer here. And so like, you know, we can't tell you not to be an artist, but like focus on this. And so you're not really an actor anymore. You're a writer. Did, did you ever have a feeling like, hey, other people kind of write and perform on this show? I just never, I know that, and I've seen people like succeed at it, obviously. Yeah. Like, you know, Tina, Jason Sudeikis, like there have been a few people that were writers that that became actors there. But I feel like they did it in a way that was really, uh, you know, they did it and it worked and it was great, but I never was the kind of personality that I was a very much a wanted to do things the way they wanted and needed for me to do it. And I didn't want to take, I was close with everyone. So I didn't want to take anyone else's thing. Everyone was so desperately trying to get airtime. And I'm like, if I ever pushed to, like in the early years, some, um, a couple of people wanted me to to go on update just as a funny whim, like not as a trying to be a cast right. member, but I had been obsessed with the first Rocky movie. And so my whole journal was all about Rocky <laughs> and what a fox he was and, and, uh, and how much I loved that movie. And I was so dramatic in my journal talking about Rocky. And so when Sylvester Stallone hosted, they wanted me to come on update and just read from my journal directly to Sylvester Stallone. And we never ended up doing it. And I was just not at a plate. Like years later, I would have done it in a second, just as a funny thing. Cause I was confident in myself to just go do yeah. it. But in those early years, anytime I ever did any performative thing that felt like I was crossing that line, I felt like, now don't do that. Like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You know, because everyone was desperately trying to, to get the, make their mark and make their spot in, in the cast and have people know them and get their sketch in. And it was really hard. So I was so, so much trying to be successful at what I got hired in. But as the years went on, I think I became, because I was very much a caretaker. So I was a mama, you know, I was, I was a teat and I was a mom, emotional teat to everyone that that grew old in my older years there, that grew old, especially with the new young generations coming in that I wasn't close friends with. So I would have these new people that like I'm nurturing and I was like, I don't want to be their mom. I don't want to be people's mom. I want people to be successful, want them to have a good experience here, but I don't want that to be my job to, to fully like be their nurturing, you know, nurturing uh, of their career. I just, and I think because I was also growing tired of what I was doing that I missed performing probably. I didn't want to name that, but it was harder for me to like take people that I wasn't close with and care more about their trajectory than my own thing. It sounds like and, you lived like an actual mom journey. Like, okay, I raised my children and now it's like time for me to go back to what I was doing before I had children. Yeah. 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 It's like, what brings me joy? What, what is, you know, 
like not the dance mom of, of, you know, joy adjacent, joy, uh, joy ventriloquism, but like, what is my, in my body, uh, adrenaline joy, um, rapturous, just fun. Like what, where does that lie? And the other thing is, is when I was young, acting was, and I truly mean this, like acting was so natural to me and so comfortable to me and easy for me in my head that I never got scared. I never got nervous. I just, it was just pure joy. It was like, I was born a ham and born like a just comfortable and writing was always nerve wracking. It was, Mm. and it still is. And I, I enjoy it, but it's freaking hard as hell and nerve wracking. (laughs) And, and so I don't, it does, it isn't the same energy and process as like going and performing something that's so outward. It's so, you know, my therapist always talks about like depression is the depressing of things. It's like Mm. compressing and depressing of all these things. And that's how I feel like sometimes writers are so depressed because just always worry, always the weight of everything, the weight of whether it's going to work, the weight of it's. And I always felt like performing was more childlike. It had a, an outward energy, yeah, it's expansive. It's expansive and release. It's it's release as opposed to writing is all this, oh my God, I'm not good at this. I shouldn't be doing, oh my God, I can't finish this. I don't want to finish this. Oh my God. It's all these self-doubt things. And so I'm really enjoying being an actor right now because it's a lot less uh, angsty. Uh, well, well, to that end, so you after you decided to leave SNL, it was time, and you had written... Had you written Sisters yet? Had you sold? Were you selling movies yet? No, what, I was. How did- I, no, what I really, what I, when I really started into that was um, my agent. I had done a couple like promos for uh, for Tina and Steve Carell for like the their date night movie. It mm-hmm. was date night, yeah, date night, yeah. And and um, I had written a couple like silly things for them that they didn't they shot for the theater before they had the trailer and all that. And my agent, my new agent at the time was like, I think you should try to write movies, blah, blah, blah. And then I got asked through Kristen to, to be on the set of Bridesmaids. And so I went with, I had not met Judd before and I went on the set of Bridesmaids and I wrote jokes on the set during Bridesmaids and, and would write them on little post-it notes and give them to Judd. And then we, you know, they do. And so I came a few times during the shooting of Bridesmaids and, wrote some stuff for that, um, with the wonderful Annie Mumolo. Um, and, and, uh, that was the first time I ever had any foot in, in, in the pond of, of movies at all was with Judd. And then I worked with him a couple other times and learned a lot. And then I start, I pitched sisters with Tina because Tina knew of my journal and it was kind of legendary at SNL with that <laughs> journal. And she and uh, my my agent, Michelle Bowen, said to me one day, because I kept, I kept going into meetings showing this journal. I didn't know, I originally was going to do it as like a Broadway show, a little off-Broadway show. I, I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew it was full of funny stuff in it. But the other funny thing that I would always open with in meetings it, with people was, that my sister was three years older. She was a seventies Fox. She had hair down to her hips. You know, she was real thin and beautiful and the boys, you know, she loved, she loved boys and they loved her. And she had a boyfriend that was in a Chicago cover band. And like, she just lived like, she was shy, but she was like the coolest seventies girl. 
And I, like I said, was, you know, a 50 year old woman (laughs) with braces. And so, (laughs) so I would go into meetings with this journal and I would say my sister's diary journal is, oh my God, Bill is, I'm so in love with Bill and he wants to go camping. I'm going to tell mom and dad that I'm at my friend's house or whatever. I'm going to go camping with Bill. I'm so in love and I love, you know, this and that. And I love him and, and all this. And my journal was, I changed the grid on my rock tumbler today. And the amethyst (laughs) is really, really shining up beautifully. I'm going to make a stick pin out of it. And I was such an ungodly, like sexless nerd that my, our journals were so wildly different. So my agent said one day, I think that these two sisters, the difference between them that you talk about, that is the movie, you know? And then we kind of came up with the idea of, um, uh, of, you know, like them selling the childhood home and going like, wait, we have a limited amount of time to redo what we never got to do. And, um, so that's that's kind of where sisters happened. And that was such a long process. Like when I think about it today, I just still get like like an anxiety stomach ache of how long the process is to do like a studio movie like that to get it actually, you pitch it and then there's all this excitement and then you write the first draft. Oh my God, we love this. And then it's like years <laughs> to get it greenlit. I mean, I remember them saying to me that it was on a it was on a blinking green light. Oh God, a blinking. And I was like, what does that mean? Because by then I was like years into it. I was just like, I can't, I can't go down this road any longer. But you're like, oh my God, I'm so grateful that this is happening. But it is it ever going to happen? Wait, Mark and Abby had, because you're going to appreciate this. Mark and Abby had a, a studio movie called The Warm Up Guy mm-hmm. that was a blinking green light for 15 fucking years. Everyone from like, when it first started, it was like Adam Sandler and I think Drew, we're going to re-team up and do it. The very last incarnation of it was Scarlett Johansson and like this guy, I can't remember, he was like hot for a second. He, He had like won a Tony on Broadway and then was like gonna be the next big thing and then wasn't. Actor, but like actors just kept aging out because no, kept- that's what happened. There were like like Jim Carrey was attached. Like like it was so fucking crazy. And for 15 years they kept getting called like, hey Matthew McConaughey is really interested in this. So can we do a re- we just get on the phone with him, do a rewrite, do a pass for him. Like the amount and they're now at this point not getting fucking paid. You know what I mean? Ugh. They're just like, well, maybe the movie no, will get made. Is, is if it goes and goes and goes, and you, you know, you're not getting paid for like your hours that you spend your to time. Write it yeah. fifty times, and then when you rewrite it, then later at the very end, they're going, you know what? I'm looking at an old script, and I really like this old version of this. And it's like, yeah, we could have like waste. We could have saved two years of our life here. You and know? it's just like so when you're high, of- when words become meaningless. And you're like, <laughs> that's exactly what right. What does this even mean anymore? What I know. Yeah. I just, it's I, weird. It's weird no. how that happens with certain movies, like certain studio yeah. films, especially comedies. I think like, like they just get real. It feels like it's either it's, that, it's either that, or they start shooting without even their script. Yeah, because yeah. like I've done a lot of rewrites on scripts, so they're like, um, "Hey, can you do this? We're already shooting. Can you already, you know?" And you're like, 
Wait, you're already, you haven't even, like, it isn't even finished and you're already shooting. So it's either that or the other. It's never like just a normal amount of time of like, we wrote this, we're ready, let's shoot, let's fund it and and write, you know, it's just because there's so much money behind it. And like, I had never, you know, I didn't realize what that meant to have like a movie at a bigger studio where they spend a lot of money. I didn't realize how much of a business transaction that is and how much they need it's like getting a, lo- a loan where they're like they're wanting insurance insurance and research of like that they're going to get their return on all that I didn't I didn't care about any of that part because I just wanted the movie they like to get on and happen you know but so then sisters happened and at, at what point did the acting come back around well, really, it happened because of my friends that were doing their own shows, like Tina and Amy doing Parks and Rec. You know, Parks and Rec, I I was Tammy Zero. So they cast me as, <laughs> as Nick Offerman's mother. And I had like was that? age makeup on, like crazy age makeup. And I had a bunch of guns. I had so many guns that I had them mounted on the ceiling at, in, in the house of my character. But I, I shot one episode of that where I was Tammy Zero and I had a drinking game with um, Tammy One, who was fantastic uh, actress that I can't remember right now. Redhead, um, can't think of her name. Um, anyway, sorry if you're listening to this. Uh, <clears throat> I, she's probably not. She's I'm an iconic incredible actor, um, in theater and film. Um, but anyway, uh, I had like a drink, a a drink, drink off with her and we had this really fun. Oh, Patty Clarkson. Patty Clarkson. We had a lot of really, um, really fun times doing that. And then I did, um, you know, I was Pete Hornberger's wife around that same time or maybe earlier. I was Pete Hornberger's wife. Um, I did end up writing at us at 30 rock for a year during that era, but, um, I was Pete Hornberger's wife on 30 rock. So I was in, you know, three or four episodes where it was always some strange sexual thing where I was inviting Liz Lemon into our marriage bed. And, um, because I was trying to spice things up with my husband and, uh, and then there's a scene where I, where he leaves me is having marital problems and stays at Liz Lemon's house. And oh, then yeah. Lemon walks in and I'm sitting on top of him having I remember this. And I'm holding, and I had a bustier on and I told them to just cut the bustier out because I could just have my boobs because I always just loved just having my boobs out. And I'm like, just cut this whole thing off and then I'll just put my hands over my nips. And they were like, are you sure? And I said, yes. And so I I was on top of him and uh, Scott Adsit, who played Pete, of course, I remember looking at him and, and there was like a hundred crew members all leaning into us and we're like mingling our sweat and hair. And I just looked at him and I was like, this is what people like when they make adult films every day are like just chit-chatting, <laughs> like going like, did you, where'd you park today? Like we're you know, just sitting on top of him, mounted, fully mounted. Um <sighs> With, you know, a pregnancy panel, protector panel in between. I'm sure they put something there. So we didn't engage. (laughs) Sure. Like two dogs in heat. Oh, Oh my my God, Paula. Yeah. 
I've lived a life, guys. You really have. You really and then have. up until now, you you just did Girls Five Eva. Totally Ugh. killed it. And like fun fact for everyone at home, I was so happy that you had like that romance storyline. Spoiler alert. Oh boy. Oh boy. And like fun Can't fact work. for everyone at home, that's your real life. Your real. That's my real life. Delicious, wonderful human. Janine Brito, who is my wife, and I will forever, I will forever just have it in my contract that I she is the only one that can play <laughs> anyone that I interact with romantically. And then we'll just throw some different wigs on her <laughs> and she'll do, do some different characters. I'm a Janine fan. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's amazing. You told us about like 50 pivots. Yeah, I had so many pivots and I still feel, you know, like we went to L.A., We, uh, you know, we met in L.A., got married, living a fun life in L.A. last, you know, two years ago, ha- bought this little house, thought we'd be there for, you know, a very long time, everything. And then like the pandemic happened and we're here we are in New York again. And that was another huge, huge pivot. Um, but I really do. I do love change. I just, the transition part, I think gets me in the chaotic part of it. I just want to get past the chaotic part. I want to like really feel settled and, and simple. And I want to get, uh, get a little uh, healthier and lose, lose a little of my, you know, pandemic leg weight. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally, Paula, first of all, that it's very relatable. Everybody has pandemic leg extra weight. leg meat. I feel like no, extra. Like, leg I feel meat. like the pandemic just made our legs feel heavier, like psychologically heavier. Because right. here's what I mm. want to say: is that I put on um, a jumpsuit yesterday that I thought was gonna be too small for me, and it wasn't. And I, yeah. So I just well, maybe we're just retaining. Tears. Yeah, that's what I, I just wow. think like that. I was like psychologically feeling heavier through the legs than I really mm-hmm. was. I definitely feel feel like the the like you you know we were talking about like parties having people at parties again where you can like hug someone and sit around to have dinner like to actually talk and see people's faces and sit with candles around a dinner table and really feeling human again. I I think. It's going to give a give me the energy to kind of move around more. And I'm living in a place now where I have to like move around more. And, you know, in L.A., you just kind of get in your car and drive everywhere. And now I've got to kind of move around more. But it's weird because, you know, we did the show, obviously, during the shutdown, the pandemic. We like did not have that thing that you get to have with when you start shows. We're like, we all go out yeah. and everybody meets each other's like families and like whatever like it was really crazy to me six months into like being Paul like Paula being like everything to me where Mark said something and he's like you know I've never met her right and I was like wait what and he's like you know I've never met Paula Pell and I was like how is that possible what are you talking about so hard to not like you know and I was also you know, we were in North Carolina. So Janine was in North Carolina. I would FaceTime her and be like, Oh my God, these girls. And, and, you know, and, and I just, I just, she hadn't met, had you met Renee before? Yeah. You I, and busy, oh. right? No, I've never met 
No, we have never met. Go to busy on her show when I was on there. No. Okay. Um, but you know, I was thinking of this the other day because we got so close so quick and we always tease about that. It was like almost nauseating that of how much we love each other that we so quickly got. And I kept thinking like how amazed I was that we were able to do that during a pandemic when we have to kind of stay away from each other and we can't like intermingle, we can't go to dinner, but in a way it was kind of probably the reason it became so intimate because we would just be in scenes and it was that like we'd go in scenes where we could take our masks off and then we'd be like this because we, we could be, Face to face, and we just be like, okay, so oh, by the way, this is what just happened in my life, and blah blah, and then we're crying, and like, you know, my dog is sick, or like, my we we'd all be sharing all this stuff in such a little like kids in school in the in during recess sort of that we'd have, and then we'd like sneak into each other's rooms and be like, you know, having a quick little sandwich together or whatever. I mean, we followed the rules mostly, but like sometimes we just couldn't stand it. We had like, yeah, I mean, we. We never got in trouble. No. But it was also so confusing because we're like, okay, wait, so if we're eating in a scene together, we can, but like we're not supposed to have lunch well, together. Also, we even if we're like things in, like in the show where we hugged and and like, you know, did all this like very close intimate stuff. And then we'd ha- we'd leave the set and have to like it's about viral load. Folks, and we can- viral load. It, it it is. Why yeah. I know, Casey. We know. <laughs> we know. Listen, we we followed it. We didn't want to. We wanted to go to dinner. We wanted to do all those things, but we knew we couldn't. And uh, and we were glad because we also did not want anything to shut down. Yeah. Like nope, no, and we, didn't. and we did it. Yeah, you guys really. Nothing I mean, shut down. I mean, look at yeah. how many things did shut down. So your team kept you so safe and you were able to no, make they were yes, this incredible they really show. Were. Like I'm looking at so many things, like as like a person that works in television, I'm looking at so many things and it's so obvious that like they weren't able to go pedal to the metal and the, your show just looks so great. It looks so well done. And, um, yeah, it just, and that's a, such a testament to the team that, that you guys had in place. And I'm amazed at the performance things when they show crowd or whatever, like to be able to do any of that during it. Cause that was like a grim oh time. And, and it was really a scary time to have, you know, like anytime we even had like, you know, 10 background people, I would come that's, up, I, the, agree. I would come up to the AD and I'd be like, I'm just going to tell you that I'm very paranoid. <laughs> and so I'm going to sit, stand in the corner and then you just call me in when I'm ready to do my part, you know, cause I just didn't want to sit in people's air and have them sit in mine at that time because yeah. we just, we were, none of us were protected. Nobody knew. No, no, no. no. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Paula, is it, who's that? Is that you? That's Paula? everyone. That's all the dogs barking at once. Paula, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do with Gina. First of all, the mouth warts are so fucking disgusting. Is she on some sort of antiviral for that? Well, we gave we gave it to her, but it like clearly didn't work. And they're like grosser and getting bigger. And then the vet was like, yeah, you got to crush them. Or like the vet tech was like, you got to crush them. You got to like squeeze them so that it releases the virus. I don't even fucking know. And she does antibodies and then they'll go away. Well, you have but to then, like the venom out. Shut up, Paula. I can't. So now she's like p- literally losing her shit. Now Acting she's peeing out. on the rugs. Oh. She's like mad. Like she's going through, like she's very angsty. I was like, Is you there did a this Facebook to yourself. group that's just Papillona virus dogs that she could 
that she could join? Have a play date with like, I mean, like, like H, H, uh, what is it? Um, DPV cats. Yeah. She can have like a zoom. Surely surely they're going to find somebody, some vet in New York city has got the answer to how to, to how to solve that. I have a very, I think we have to get them here. I think I'm going to ask her. Will you please? I, I'm going to send you a picture. You can send us the vet. It's also hard with that breed because their fur is like so. It's kind of a perfect little petri dish for it. Yeah. Well, she is a perfect little petri dish. I know when I had all my warts, right, Janine? Do you remember? <laughs> um, she said she crushed everyone with love. Oh, Janine. Oh, my gosh. Um, what are you guys doing today? Are you going to do like a little? We're, getting, we're having our bedrooms bedrooms painted, uh, which I'm so excited about because it's going to motivate me to then like put away my clothes and have everything be kind of fresh, fresh start, clean mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. organized. And we're just going to spend a lot of time going through boxes and going, wait, we paid uh, a mover to move this box of sanitary napkins across the <laughs> wait, Paula, Paul, wait, Paula, that I cannot even explain to you. We had some of our stuff from Los Angeles and I started opening it trash, literal uh-huh. trash in boxes <laughs> that I paid. I mean, basically some of thousands, our boxes are actual trash, like thousands upon thousands of dollars to have actual trash moved across the country and I was like well that's moving in a pandemic I guess like (laughs) I couldn't and our our friend facilitated the move did a fantastic job because she would send us pictures of every drawer and say like send me back this picture with things crossed out that you want so she would weed through everything but I had a storage unit full of bins that I wasn't thinking and half of that shit was just useless like Stuff that we have so many cords of of electronics. Cord disease. We don't. We don't own. We don't own the electronics anymore. They're long gone, and then we just have a ton of cords. So maybe we can. uh, Hey guys, what do we do with the cords? What do we do with the cords? Does anyone know? That's a really good question. Where do we get that? I want to recycle them. I don't. I want to do something environmentally conscious. I want to just dump them. Would they be? Would they be recycled with electronics? Because I know recycle. Yeah, I think electronics. Go to Staples and cry, and like maybe someone will take it from you. Yeah, that's a good idea. Staples and cry. I feel like someone. I I just like like wait, Paula. We (laughs) just Staples and cry. Staples and cry. My other thing is, is that I, I don't even know because so many boxes from the storage units and stuff, like, I don't know what's in things. So I'll, I'll be like, oh, we need a so-and-so just simple, weird little things. And then I'll find a, a, you know, a tub full of four of those of, of something like tongs or whatever it is. It's like, we don't, because we don't have things labeled very much. We kind of just need to pretend it's Christmas morning and we just keep just opening keep. boxes and going, oh. My situation, I moved from the East Coast. My home was on the East Coast and I came to the West Coast to work with Busy. My older son was in college on the East Coast, but still like he was in the dorm and then had to like have somewhere to live when the dorm was closed. But then I also had a friend who um, 
She's a woman in her mid-30s who works in politics, and she got a job in Harlem and had nowhere to live. And so I said, uh, you could live at my house, but with my 19-year-old son. And so they were roommates. And so that's who packed our stuff to come to the West Coast. And uh, it was very comical. And that's starting on CBS this <laughs> fall, right? So it was very sweet. And it was actually that's like, really it was, it was really nice. And it was nice to have someone that I felt like was kind of watching. Love yeah. It. Anyway. I would have loved to live with an adult when I was in college <laughs> to have somebody to kind of keep an eye on me. Because when you look back at that age, you're like, how did I even survive? Exactly. Like, how am I alive? Well, that's, I am always like, how did I not die 4,000 times? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, I remember specific times where I was like, oh, I think I almost just died. <laughs> but like, what the fuck? Like, no. that is crazy. James Anderson and I used to rent a, a little apartment from a lady named Carletta who had a ring on every finger and like real tan in Knoxville. And she would, we would like come home after gay barring, dancing all night like four in the morning after the diner and we would like sneak in and forget our keys and be like taking a window off the frame to get into (laughs) our little apartment behind her house. And she'd come out and she'd be like, Hey y'all. She said, Hey, at the end of every sentence, she'd go, I'm just going to tell you something, James and Paula. Hey, when you come in here, Hey, uh, you got to be real careful. Hey, because, uh, it, you know, I have a gun and, and, uh, Hey, no, if I hear somebody in the middle of the night. Hey, and we were like, you know, oh, we had we had to pee, and we were like <laughs> peeing in the driveway, and then trying to get in our place, and oh god, how we didn't just get shot like a deer in the street. <laughs> it's a mirror. Um, yeah. Oh my it's gosh. Crazy. Well, Paula, I am really, I'm so pleased that I finally got a chance to talk to you because not only have I heard so much about you from. Busy and Tina and Eric, but also when you were at SNL all those years, I was down the hallway at the Rosie O'Donnell show as a writer. I felt like we oh went to, God. I felt like we went to like the same college. Like I felt we were cool. on the same. Yeah. Were you, were you there when we brought the cheerleaders to Rosie? Yes. To do a cheerleaders bit? Yes. Oh my God, that's Yes. I feel like we, I knew the cast much better than I knew the writers just because, well, the cast were like frequent guests and, right. um, and the writers would usually be kind of a little bit in the back. Yeah, you know, exactly. Bit exactly. Yeah. I mean, before the internet too, before like real social media, um, it, what's funny about us now is when you were a writer, like nobody ever knew because they didn't show your, they showed your name at right. the end of the episode of SNL, but nobody knew who wrote what or, and, and it wasn't really until I did Twitter years later that my name even got attached to my comedy, right. you know, where I would like go to a meeting. Ooh, that's and, interesting. I go to a meeting and, and be all excited that they'd know my SNL stuff and they'd be like, I really like your Twitter and they know me only from Twitter. And I'd be like, Jesus, you mean I could have just done that? Right. And like, you know, a lot more. Well, it didn't exist. Yeah. It's right. such a different right. world. But now that is what like comedy kids trying to break in do. Yeah. Some people, we, when we were hiring for busy tonight, people submitted their Twitter feeds to us. To read. Well, it actually was like a good indicator to be honest, because like yes. you can have somebody do a submission and that's all one thing. But then like, if you go to like their social media and it's just like, you know, if it's just all like 
anger or like it's very dry right. or you can tell their personality. Yeah. You can also tell their taste of what they choose to be their tweaks. Cause you go, if this is what you choose like five times in a row, then maybe right. your judgment is off or your funny is off. But right. um and if people like skewed toward being really mean right. or you know I don't know, Paula, if I've ever talked to you about this. I'm I need to let you go hang with your mom. I'm your mom? My God, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Janine, I'm so sorry. You know how many times people think I'm her mom? The Spectrum guy the other day was like, that's your mom, right? And I'm like, no, I'm her wife. I mean, I just called you. How are you? It's so nice to see I'm, you. I'm her dad. Yeah, I'm she's, dad she's my dad. She's my daddy. What is wrong my with daddy. my brain? Hi, guys. Wait, I'm convinced, truly, that if... The internet and camera phones, I've talked about this. If the internet and camera phones had existed when I was a young coming up starting actor and specifically when I was on Dawson's Creek, I would have been canceled, like full fucking canceled. I was a drunk mess. I was disgust. I was like screaming at people. I was starting fights in the street in Wilmington, North Carolina, defending Michelle's honor like I was like a fucking lunatic and I got through it and I'm fine now so there's your mom and uh <laughs> well we should let you go because you have rooms to paint and boxes to unpack but it was so fun I know thanks for doing this Paula we love you so much we love you I love you busy Casey it was so good to talk to you it was so nice to talk to you I just I'm so pleased that we just got a chance to really chat I know to really, to really unpack things. <laughs> we got, oh the, boy. Now I've got to go really, really unpack. unpack. Really unpack. All right. I love you, Paula. That has like maybe some cat litter in it. That <laughs> Fantastic. might not be completely dirty or clean. Kind of in the middle that we were like, let's pack this. <laughs> <laughs> love you. All right. Love you very much. Have a wonderful day, Bye. you guys. You. Bye. Bye. Oh, do you know what I love, Casey? What? I love a supplement routine that doesn't stay the same, that changes when I need things changed. Yeah. And that is like specifically personalized for me. It is a thing I truly love. And guess what? What? That's what Care Of does. All of Care-of's products are formulated with good-for-you clean ingredients that are backed by science. They're super transparent about the research and the sourcing behind each one of their products. And your recommendations come in daily individually wrapped packets that are perfect for getting back into or starting a routine. I will say that sometimes when you're taking more than let's say two supplements, it gets hard to take them all at one time. So having that little package is like, the greatest thing for me because I can just like put it in my purse and then I take it like when I'm out, you know, and about and I can just have my, you know, have my supplements and vitamins, you know? Yeah. 
And the Care of app allows you to track your routine and earn rewards like cool swag, discounts, and even free products when you're consistent with taking your vitamins. There's an online quiz that asks you questions about your diet and your lifestyle and your health concerns to help you address your specific wellness goals. And the holistic online quiz is like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist without leaving your house. So you'll get a personally tailored approach to your unique health needs. And you can retake the quiz at any time as your goals and needs change, which I have personally done, which is amazing. So Care-of makes it easy to declutter your cabinet and replace like a ton of bottles with just one dispenser of convenient daily vitamin packs. So guys, guess what? You can get 50% off your first Care-of order. Go to takecareof.com and enter code BEST50 at the checkout. So for 50% off your first Care-of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code BEST50. Um, did you like that discussion? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a good entrance back into the show? It's not our <laughs> worst one. It's not no, the worst. No, to be honest, TBH, not, not the most terrible one I've ever done. Um, okay, are you ready? Oh, wait. First of all, you know I literally have no patience, time, or interest in white dudes. But <laughs> Bo Bunham's special... Burnham? Oh, Burnham? Bo Burnham? Bo Burnham? Yeah. Bo, yeah. Bo, Burnham? Bo Burnham? Bo Burnham. I'm going to look it up. I think it's Burnham. That's how uninterested you are. Even the one you like, you don't even know his name. Holy Burnham. Yeah, that's Bo Burnham. Holy shit, you guys. Will you do yourselves a favor and watch his new Netflix special? It's called Inside. I really have no interest in having like a straight white dude on this show I am so it is one of the best things I've seen I know y'all were watching the mayor of East Town. I didn't watch it but this but Bo Burnham's special is truly a work of art I am really a fan wow and I, I didn't know I was it. I didn't know I was didn't know and by the way wasn't my choice to watch it I didn't actually, I wasn't going to watch it. I mean, I didn't know. It wasn't on my radar. But Mark watched it last night. I had gone to bed with Cricket. Um, Sometimes when I put Cricket to bed, I just like decide that's it for me, I think. I think I'm just going to call it, you know? Yeah. And and then woke up this morning and Mark was like raving about it. And then my friend James Vincent McMorrow, who did the theme song for Busy Tonight, All Roads Lead Back. Tweeted as soon as I opened up Twitter, I saw he was like, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but holy shit, Bo Burnham. Burnham? Yeah. You know Ringo. I can't do a last Ringo. name. You know I can't. Rigo. Rigo star. Um, special is genius. You have to watch it. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. James Vincent McMorrow was just saying that. And so then I just watched it this morning and oh my God. Highly recommend. That's number one. Number two is that this is the text that I got from our friend Shantira Jackson on Saturday that I need to share with everybody because if you are a listener of the podcast, continue on. If you have not listened to like the last 
two episodes of the podcast, you might be a little bit like, well, huh, okay. But I just really, I'm going to need to pull this up for you guys. Um, so on Saturday, Shantira texted me out of nowhere. I hadn't talked to her in a while. Well, not since Girls 5 ever came out. And Shantira texted me because she and Libby loved it so much. And I said, Shantira, thank you. That's delightful. And then we talked a little bit then. Saturday at 7.38 p.m. Hey, weird question, but do you have a tattoo on your foot? (laughs) I do, in fact, have a tattoo on my foot. The tattoo that I got in Dallas, Texas, after I found out that Busy Tonight was being canceled, and it's an illustration that was from my memoir, from the from the uh, chapter where I get like super fucked over by these guys for the Blades of Glory screenplay. And it's like this girl ice skating and she's ice skated out the words, fuck them. That's excellent. And so so that's what I have on my foot. And then Shantira said, I spoke to a medium today and I'm trying to see if it was your grandma who was saying hi, LOL, you know, just normal weekend stuff. So I was like, wait, Shantira, what? So wait, let me, let, me, let me see if I can do this. Hold on. Let's see if I can do this. Okay, let's see. Okay, so the grandma came through with like my relatives and was like, I'm your friend's grandma, Elizabeth. That's what she said. Now, her name's Elizabeth, but I call her Elizabeth. And I want her to know that I really like the tattoo on her foot. <gasps> you guys. What? Grandma Moot coming in and strong. <laughs> she crashed Shantira's reading. <laughs> she was with Shantira's grandma Bernice. And they were like fully hanging. And she's like, they're having the best time. And then the medium whose name is Jamie Jamie Voss Love I need to check I need to I need to schedule a sesh I haven't done it yet because I've been very busy but I need to schedule a sesh and Jamie sent a text to um Shantira after Shantira was like oh yeah it's definitely my friend busy also Moot called me would never call me busy would only call me like Elizabeth Elizabeth Bizabeth um biz like she just didn't like busy and she oh it was gosh. always this whole thing my. with her where she would be like Lilibet, Lizabizzy, Lizabeth, <laughs> Lizabiz. And I'm oh like, my Moot, gosh. my name is busy. But she fully in the psychic reading medium coming through was like, Yeah, no, fuck that. Elizabeth. I know people some people, oh, you know, her name is Elizabeth, but I call her Elizabeth. Anyway, I love that she didn't say my name is busy because she never, never liked it. Okay, so then she goes. What about us tattoo? What about, okay, so this is from Jamie, the psychic. I'm sure she has more to share and I'm happy to connect with her and see what else comes through. Right now, her grandma is telling me, don't be shy because apparently she has some very direct messages. Her grandma (laughs) seems to be quite opinionated. Oh my God. And I was like, Moot's been leaving me pennies all over the fucking town and she's got things to say. She, she has is messages. breaking through. She is coming back. Oh my gosh. So anyway, isn't that amazing? That is beautiful. That is wild. My I light bringer. My love light team. A medium. 
I love a medium. I love the pennies. I love everything about this. I did this myself a couple months ago. I tried to talk to my aunt. She died last March of breast cancer. And I kind of called this medium who a friend had recommended. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And I didn't tell him anything about myself. Didn't even tell him my last name. Because I'm like, you can't look up anything. And he was like, there's this lady like just in my ear. And she's chatty. And she's got some stuff. And it was my aunt completely. Like 100%. Your grandma 100% broke through and is hanging out with Shantira's grandma, and I cannot handle that. That is the best thing I've ever heard. Well, that is, to me, like, the funniest, funniest (laughs) part of it is that Moot was just like, I can't. Why is Busy not seeing a medium? Oh, thank God. One of her friends is. I'm going to have to go crush that. It's the best part. Oh, my gosh. Strong. Strong vibes. (laughs) I mean... I was just looking on Instagram busy because someone messaged the show's Instagram to say that as they were listening to the story that you were telling about the golf tee, they looked down and saw a golf tee. No fucking way. (gasps) Yeah. But I couldn't find the message because Instagram messages are impossible to search. But anyway, light teams, they're real. Grandma moves. Guys. Crashing Shantiras. Listen, talk to your light teams. Tell them what you need. Tell them the help that you're looking for because your light teams are coming through for you. Be specific. Um, Should we, should I see if Jamie wants to do a session on air? Oh my God, that (gasps) would be amazing. Yeah. I don't know if she can. I don't know if she can. I don't know how it works. We'll see. We'll see. I, I just love it. I love that. Um, Danielle, when when we're talking so much about busy tonight, we're just like we're like um, the no, fucking high school it. football player reliving his glory days. No, it's just in the ether right now. No. It's just in our it's in our it's in the forward part of our brain. And also, I do think that we never really mourned it. And I think maybe this is part of of mourning a thing as and letting go of it is that and you yeah, have to like maybe kind of walk through it. It's spring. But, it's renewal. It happens. It's true. And it's like the two year anniversary. And yeah. So, um, but when Lizzo came, she brought her psychic with her mm-hmm. and her psychic just like, like, I don't know. She just like felt like she was going to be on the show. And sure enough, we did put her on the show. <laughs> But then she felt like such a vibe, I guess, from everybody that she just came back on another day, like on a prep day to like read everyone, which was really nice of her. And um, yeah, it was really sweet. And I was so happy because whenever psychics come around on TV shows that I work on, they never have anything to say to me, which I'm like, oh, that actually tracks with like my family. I'm like, oh, my dad didn't show up. Exactly. (laughs) That's no. how I know you're a legit oh, psychic. Stop. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, Lizzo's psychic did have something to say to me. And I was like, oh, finally. I felt like I finally. She was Aww. like, she said that my my grandmother and my aunt from the other side of the family were like, hanging out together and she said that they really liked me which I thought she said that they were friends now and that they liked me which I thought was kind of cool because that's a thing that I always say I always say like that like I love people but I think liking people is actually more powerful sometimes than loving people completely I don't know so I I like that that they were like tell her we like her because we know that she likes that to hear that people like her (laughs) 
That's, That's really beautiful. sweet. Oh, yeah. Keys. And look, oh. I love all this busy tonight talk as well because I don't know if you remember uh, when you came out to LA. Yes. With Link. <laughs> yes. And you were like, I don't know. It's such a big move. I'm like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you take this job. You do it. It's going to be You just wanted great. us to move here because you were miserable. I was so <laughs> sad in LA. <laughs> I but definitely also- had ulterior motive. <laughs> But also but LA so is great in a lot of ways, you know, it is yeah. for sure. It is for sure. And the way that I look at it is like, I mean, look at us all. Like we're always making the joke. What is time? But like, what is living somewhere? You know right. what I mean? Like, and what is being in touch with someone? Like I'm in much better touch with people that I don't actually physically see yeah. than I ever have been in my life because I'm making yeah. like, much more of an effort than I have been. And also like my life in LA because of like the way that my life has changed. There's a lot of things that I wish were different right now, but there's also a lot of things that are much nicer just because of like where I am. Like I'm much, there are things in my life that are different and I'm much more able to like see friends and move around. And I got a part of my life back that I just like, if I hadn't come here, I wouldn't have had. So it's, you know, it's all a trade off and it's all, you know, you know, I could not agree more. (laughs) Danielle's isolated herself (laughs) in a cabin in the woods. In a haunted barn. (laughs) Surrounded by murderers. Oh. And sheets for curtains. I mean, you know what's really <laughs> wild is that I actually, I've seen more people in the last four days than I've seen in the last three years. No, I, I love that. See, it's all, guys, this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to say, and I don't know who needs to hear it. <laughs> you can't make a bad decision, guys. You just can't. Nope, you Every are Every decision you are. that you've made is exactly the right one. I'm telling you. It's hard to remember sometimes in the moment when you're crying and you miss your nachos and your house (laughs) and all the furniture that you gave to those people. But, (laughs) but it's the right decision for the time, for the moment, for where we got to go. And we got to go higher. We're on a shift. It's a planetary shift. We got to. And you I don't know if that's it. true, but I do know that we do, that there's work to do. There's shit to get done, and we got to fucking Elizabeth Warren that at like stuff and like put our throw our shoulders into it and get some get some shit done. And we can't do it if we just stay stagnant. And sometimes you got to let go of things, you know. Sometimes you got to give stuff back to the universe, like that furniture in my house, or <laughs> like. Do you remember right after Busy Tonight was over the that I lost my heart earrings the next yes, day? My flat yes. heart earrings, my Irene flat heart earrings that she had gifted me. And they're, they've been ripped off by so many people, but, but hers are just very expensive. And um, <laughs> they were a gift, so they were, you know, free to me. And, um, and, and I felt like, oh my God, the universe just keeps taking things. But maybe that's like, maybe that's just like what I, maybe I needed to like shed that, like let go of it for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why exactly, but maybe I did. I think sometimes there's something to it. 
There is. I, I, didn't, need that. I didn't need that stuff weighing me down. I didn't need that house weighing me. That house weighed me down. It weighed me down. Weighed on my soul and my Well, even brain. just the knowledge that you can go is nice. Even if you come back, even if you do something differently or like the knowledge that that you can go somewhere and make a change is pretty big. It's a pretty big deal. A lot of people don't ever take the first step or they're afraid to take the first step. And they regret not trying shit. <laughs> like they just regret not trying things. So, and I do think, like, obviously, privilege has such a big part in it, right? Like, there's financial privilege that's involved. There's obviously always my white privilege that's involved, um, and in the ability to be able to like do these things, and um, and and I I recognize that it's not easy for everyone to be able to to do to be to to make changes to make big life changes a lot of people do feel stuck but what is that thing what is that thing called did we just talk to somebody who talked about that like oprah was that jessica st Clair painting yourself into a corner limiting your choices did i make that up it was renee lee Goldsberry. oh, oh about renee oprah. yeah right renee which wait, that by the way that whole interview still was like uh like we had signed up for like a weekend course of like self-help and like inspirational like I felt so inspired by everything Renee said if you guys haven't listened to that episode you might want to go back and just listen to her don't listen to us because we just talk about nothing you know but (laughs) (laughs) but definitely listen to her interview but just that that idea that like you know decisions that you make can like end up sort of backing you into a corner and you want to like be able to have infinite things available to you so you have to try to think like expansively when you're making decisions right wasn't that a kind of Casey you're giving me a look yeah no no I was listening to you no and I was also just thinking like I'm thinking about like what Danielle was talking about in moving to this house to like be with her grandmother like that's what you wanted to do and like how like that's an that's a huge achievement and accomplishment. It's also really lucky that you can do that and that you can take the time, but how nice it is to be able to like, just be like, let me just focus on this one thing, you know, like this one thing that I want Mm -hmm. to do right now. And that's also pretty amazing. And you can do that too. If that's what you want to do. And that's, again, like most of my life, that was most of my adult life was just, you know, one foot in front of the other. And I think it goes, it, I think it goes hand in hand. Like it's pretty much a tandem, to me, it feels like a very tandem argument. The the notion that you can limit yourself to choices, but you also have to be able to kind of say yes to to one thing at a time. And I think that when I was at my most broke, I still wanted to go somewhere else. So I figured it out. Like I tried it and I, you know, I made choices like not having kids, which I think for a lot of people it feels sad. But for me, it was very freeing to know very early on that I don't want to be responsible for someone else before I can be responsible for myself. And I had a mm. lot of learning to do and a lot of growing to do before I could get there. And um, it made it, e- it makes it easier now to have some more freedom, of course, which yes, is definitely a privilege. Um, my career gives me privilege like there's a lot it's kind of strange to move from a place of no privilege to privilege I guess is what I'm saying but that happens through choices too because again raised by a single mom on welfare none of this was supposed to happen to me but I made a series of choices that put me in the pathway of saying yes to shit and I think it also matters who you're around like some of your choices could just be as simple as who is in your life 
And that yeah. can limit mm-hmm. you more than materialistic things or more than, you know, actual physical choices. Right. And and that is that is such a huge part of it. It's like, are the people that you are surrounding yourself with with you on the journey or are they holding you back? Are they like second guessing your journey all the fucking time? Because if they are, I got news for you. You don't have to listen. I'm never like you don't have to cut people out of your lives completely. But you might want to make some different choices in friends and like people that you go to for advice and you seek counsel from because like, you know, there are people that just genuinely sort of want you to stay stagnant because it makes them feel more comfortable about their yes. own choices. Yes. And guys, and guys, yeah. as Paul, you know, I was going to say, as Paula Pell said, but then I couldn't remember anything she said. <laughs> she said a lot back. of great shit. She said she a lot did. of great shit. Yeah. She did. Yeah. She's literally the best. Um, I have to pee. I'm hungry. Uh, I feel like this was a delight. I, I feel like, do we even need to edit this episode? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm probably going to edit the part where I was wandering around trying to fix my recording. I don't know if you need to. Honestly, Danielle had a sin. very, we, we recorded our sides and we had a delightful conversation about the Steven Soderbergh HBO George Clooney show. <laughs> Which I'm now going to watch 100%. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually I perfect find timing. It. I don't know if it's like, streaming. I don't know. I don't know where I it is. Know. I'll look oh it up. Gosh. I'll buy it. But this is such perfect timing because my landscaper just got here, guys. You oh, can't there, you go. Even there you go. Even in LA, you're going to hear the mower everywhere. Amazing. There you go. Well, Danielle, we love you so much. I love you. Everybody so at home, we love you. Get Danielle's new book. Pre-order it now so it's here on the day that it comes out. The ugly cry. Next the Tuesday. ugly cry. Subscribe oh, to her you. podcast. I know what you did. I saw what you did. I saw what you did. Why did I say I know it? <laughs> I saw what you did. Oh, I saw. Subscribe. What you did. Wait and wait. Let me say it. Let me say it. Okay, we can edit okay. this part. And don't and subscribe to her podcast. I see what you did. <laughs> I saw what you did. <laughs> oh shit. Okay, wait. Maybe don't edit this. Okay, and subscribe to her podcast. I saw what you did. It's like I saw what you did there, right? That's what it's like. It's like I saw what you did there. Oh, I saw what you did there. I saw. Oh, I saw. Oh, oh, I saw what you did. I saw what you did. Is that right? (laughs) That is it. Completely. That's how we say it every time. She literally is wearing a fucking T-shirt that says it, and we both. This is the other oh embarrassing I, thing. I only, I packed like just my ratty <sighs> stuff and I just grabbed t-shirts. Every t-shirt I currently have in my possession either has the name of the podcast on it or my own fucking face yeah. on it. So I'm just walking around yeah, with my own merch. face in this new town like, hey guys, I'm it. here. And they're like, who do you think you I, are? <laughs> no, that's, ve- I think that's very cool. It. All of my t-shirts have prints on them and Busy's like, yes. oh, is that another Prince t-shirt? Very cool. <laughs> We are collectors. We are collectors. Oh, this but that's so all I have. Fun. That's all I have. I'm so happy you have a landscaper. I hope he's not a murderer. I mean, we'll find out. I'll let you. We'll I'll text you out. tomorrow and let you know if I'm still here. See if he <laughs> feels like this might be his first whirl. Look, if he goes anywhere near that barn, I'm out. 
where he's stashing bodies. That's where the bones are. For a long time. <laughs> <sighs> I don't like it. I don't like horror things, guys. <laughs> I don't like being scared. We'll, we'll, I only, I just like being happy. We'll check in with you. I hope you're here for your book debut next Ex- week. Same. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for having me. Truly. This is really fun. It's such a good book. It's going to be a huge hit. So everybody get it because you'll, you won't want to be left out when everyone's talking about how great it is. Um, and yeah, we love you so much. Thank you for listening. And thanks for saying that you loved the long podcast. <laughs> Yes, we appreciate it because everyone with the, that we met with when we were just trying to figure out where to bring the podcast and now we're just doing it on our own, which is why it's a little bit janky, um, was like, yeah, but you definitely need to cut it down to like 45 minutes, like 55 times. No. And we're like, well, I don't know if that's possible. And they're like, trust us. It's possible. We'll do no, it I don't it. like that advice I was like, at well, all. I mean... I don't know. I feel like it's okay. I feel like people like to listen to it. They're like, they don't. You're no they Joe Rogan's. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they said. And I was like, thank God. Can you fucking imagine? That is not the metric with be. which to gauge how long people are willing to listen to anything. <laughs> we were aware we're no Joe Rogans. We know. We oh know. My goodness. Thank God. <sighs> All right. We, well, yeah. guys, we love, we love you. you. I have to pee. Okay. I'm going to go see if my butthole is still bleeding. <laughs> Oh, no.